If you can't handle it, get me somebody that can. Get me Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee is dead. Then get his brother. everybody and welcome back to a brand new episode of not a bomb podcast this is the film podcast where we go back and look at the movies that bombed and see if they deserve a second chance brad this is the 99th episode we got 99 episodes and a blind fury ain't one. Oh, hey there you go you, there you go yep all right we're hey, talking and you yeah. definitely nailed that intro on the first try on the so first try job. yeah well you know we're professionals around here Mm-hmm. So uh, we're talking about 1989's Blind Fury. This was your pick, Brad. Why? That is correct. Why Blind Fury? Uh, because it's got Rucker Hauer in it. Oh, okay. And it's got Shogasugi in it. And we just got done talking with uh, GGTMC about uh, Enter the Ninja and Revenge of the Ninja. So I thought, why not put in another one and talk to it about that on our show? So, yeah. I love it. And so this episode... I, just full disclosure, Brad and I love this film and anything with Shokasugi, we automatically assume it's going to be uh, just awesome. So in order to match that awesomeness, we had to reach out and get our good friend, Josh from the VHS files podcast. Josh, how are you doing, man? Welcome back. It's been, it's been way too long. I'm doing good guys. And I'm really excited to be talking about Shokasugi. I think that was part of what sort of like sparked all of our friendships when we started doing podcasts with each other and talking with each other on social media. It was like Shokasugi and we all kind of shared that love. So I saw the list and I was like, Blind Fury, Shokasugi gives me a chance to talk about him. I'm on it. So was this a first time watch for you? It was my second watch. So it might as well have been a first time watch. So I haven't, I didn't, I didn't grow up watching this one. So it wasn't part of the regular Shokasugi rotation, but um, I've got some things to say. Okay, good, good. Josh, where do you where do you land on things like Revenge and Enter the Ninja, Pray for Death, things like that? Well, dude, Revenge of the Ninja has a story with me because when I was a kid, the box art for that like drew me in. Mm-hmm. And my, my grandpa used to take me to a little hole-in-the-wall video store and let me get a movie, get me a drink, and, and some, some candy, and let me run wild. And I was always gravitated towards either the horror section or the ninja movies. And while I haven't seen a ton of like classic samurai ninja, you know, stuff like that, for some reason I got roped into Shokasugi movies. And those were always the ones that I was renting and going back to. And I remember renting Revenge of the Ninja because of the box art. I loved the movie. And every time I would go back, I would look for that movie. And there were there were instances when when it wasn't there. And little old Josh would go up to the counter and be like, I'm looking for this ninja movie. It's got a ninja on the front and he's jumping in the air. Like, I just I was a dork about Shokasugi movies when I was a kid. And I don't I don't feel the way I felt as a kid now just because I'm older, but I still have a soft spot for these movies. I mean, I can watch them and enjoy the cheese and everything that's going on in them. Whereas if I watch, like I watched blind fury with my wife and she was like, this is not something I want to be watching. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I'm going to have to disagree with you 100%. These Shokasugi films, and and Brad and I, you know, talked about our rate. We kind of crushed the rating system over at the Gentleman's Guide and uh, pretty much called, you know, Enter the Ninja and Revenge of the Ninja perfect. Uh, I I actually think, especially Enter the Ninja, uh, has so many good qualities of filmmaking. And if, if you want to hear our discussion of that, I can't encourage you enough to go over to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. And then even go back a ways uh, through their podcast feed and listen to them talk about Ninja 3, The Domination, which is an, an underrated classic. I, I think we need to talk about that one at some point, Brad. Oh, oh yes, we definitely will talk about Ninja 3. Don't you worry. Okay. Revenge and, Revenge and Ninja 3 were the like two most popular Shokasugi movies for me. Those are the ones I kept go back and re- we go back and revisit all the time. Uh, you know, Ninja 3 is basically the exorcist with a ninja in it. I yes. mean, it's... It, it is the most bizarre, bonkers fucking movie I've seen. Yep, mix in a little V8 and you got domination, maybe. <laughs> so, but I mean, I even saw like the Nine Deaths of the Ninja, uh, you know, Rage of Honor, all of those. And like, I had never seen Enter the Ninja until very, very recently. And I wasn't the biggest fan of that one. I, I'm more of a Enter the Ninja, or a Revenge of the Ninja and, and Ninja 3 fan. Well, I, I have a question for both of you. So Blind Fury is a remake of a uh, film from a particular series called Zatoichi. We're going to talk about that in detail. As a matter of fact, I think all three of us watched the original film that this was based on. So after we talk about Blind Fury, I want to share our thoughts on that. But remakes of Japanese uh, samurai and ronin films, do you you guys uh, know a lot of them? I mean, the the classics are like Magnificent Seven, right? So that's been... Yeah, Fistful of Dollars. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and Josh, you guys talked about A Fistful of Dollars not too long ago, right? Yep, and I'll be honest, I, I have not seen Yojimbo. Uh, I, I own it. I have not seen it, which is the case with most of Joshua. the But um, yeah, I mean, I, I have those movies, and I you know when we were talking about doing this, you guys brought up Zatuichi, and I was like, never seen any of those guys, and I think... Troy almost had a coronary. I did have a coronary. I, I got out of the hospital yesterday. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I found my way to getting access to some Zatoichi. And I was like, okay, I'm, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. So I watched Zatoichi Challenge last night. And uh, can we talk about that movie instead of Blind Fury? <laughs> oh, no, no. Shut your mouth, Josh. So real quick, uh, I, I just want to do a checklist here and make sure. I, I'm curious if you guys have seen these. A couple of these I didn't even know about. So we talked about uh, The Magnificent Seven. There's two films, 1960, 2016. And actually, the 1960 film had a couple of sequels after it, right? Return mm-hmm. of Ma- Magnificent Seven. Yep. Um, Seven Samurai is the original source material from 1954. Have Has everybody seen all of those films? Yes, that's my favorite samurai film. I have only seen Seven Samurai. I have not seen any of the Magnificent Seven movies. Definitely check them out. I think you'll like them. They're mm-hmm. really good. Okay, the next one. Uh, was a film from 1975 called The Master Gunfighter. It's a remake of a Japanese film called Goyokin from 1969. Have you seen either of these two properties? I have not. I'd have to look and see the box art for the one that you... I haven't seen either, I guess. I, I haven't either. So that, that was one I didn't know about. Here's another one, and I love the title to this film, Requiem for a Gringo from 1968. I love that title nice. in and of itself. It is a remake of a film from 1962 called Harakiri. Either of those ring a bell? <laughs> Harakiri, I 
recognized from every time there's a Criterion sale and I yeah. see it on the, in the Criterion collection. And I'm like, I always skip past it. I'm like, what is that movie? So maybe the, <laughs> maybe now that we're talking about these movies, I'll actually pick it up next time. Uh, the same way. I haven't, I haven't seen those two. Now, this one's a big one. I, I was surprised how many movies actually were remade off of the source material of Yojimbo from 1961. So oh, we know yes. about Fistful of Dollars, right? 1964. The original Django in 1966 draws from Yojimbo, Yojimbo as well. This one surprised me because I've seen it and I didn't even put two and two together. But, you know, in the 80s when the sword and sorcery films were kind of all the rage because of Conan, there was one called The Warrior and the Sorceress from 1984. That is a remake of Yojimbo. Okay. Yep. And I'm curious if, what you guys think of this one. I, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, Bruce Willis did a remake of Yojimbo directed by Walter Hill called Last Man Standing from 1996. Thoughts on that? Yeah. One? Yep. I've seen that movie. It's like a gangster. Yeah. It's Prohibition era. Yeah. Prohibition. Yep. Yep. I remember yep. liking that movie. I think. It's one of the few Bruce Willis movies I have not seen. I, I check it out, Josh. I, I, I like it a lot. Um, it's Walter Hill. I so I'm, I, I think I have it in like a Blu-ray combo pack with like, I think it came with the last boy scout. I think it's the, it's the last boy. I'm sure it did standing. So it's, you know, I love the last boy (laughs) scout and that's probably why I'm, I'm always watching that on there. So I'm avoiding last man standing, but no, check it out. It's good. Uh, and this one totally blew my mind. I went out there and ordered it. You can get it digitally too, but blind fury is not the first remake of a Zatoichi film. I did not know that. Uh, there was a film in 1971 called Blind Man starring Ringo Starr of the Beatles. They remade The Adventures of Zatoichi from 1964. Okay. Yeah. And it's about a blind gunslinger. All right. I'm curious about that. I <laughs> My mind is a little bit... I, it's, Hey, I, same way, I same I way. Yeah, Ring, Ringo Starr from the Beatles in a uh, Western with a blind gunslinger based off Satoichi. Now, I don't think he's the blind that sounds gunslinger. sounds like the most made up sentence in the entire world. Yeah, yeah it's, it's crazy. It's like some right. multiverse type shit. Right <laughs> yeah. There. Well, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's not hard to find. Like I said, you can get a digital copy, I guess, in HD for 12 bucks. Um, you, you can get a, I don't want to call it a reputable Blu-ray, you know, from the gray market too. Uh, and I think there was a special edition DVD or an anamorphic. I don't know if it was anamorphic, but it was uncut DVD. There, there is a cut version floating around, so avoid that one. But uh, yeah, there were, those were just some. And Brad, you and I talked a little bit about this. The the samurai film itself is is pretty much in, inspired a lot of the westerns, but it also inspired movies like Star Wars. So Star Wars is uh, if you've ever seen Akira Kurosawa's Hidden Fortress, Star Wars is Hidden Fortress, but nobody will go back and say, and George Lucas will not say, Star Wars is a remake of Hidden Fortress. But when you watch Hidden Fortress and yeah, inspired by, when when you watch those two back to back, you're like, okay, Star Wars is Hidden Fortress. (laughs) So down to some iconic uh, scenes that take place that are almost shot for shot. Yeah, I just- an homage, really, Troy? (laughs) <laughs> okay. I just watched Hidden Fortress for the first time recently, and I think it's because Brad and I were talking about it, actually. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I knew Star Wars was based off of the old samurai movies and whatnot, but I had never ventured back to see what, you know, what what inspired Star Wars. And, um, you know, again, that Criterion sale got me. I was like, oh, Hidden Fortress. I'll go ahead and pick this up so I can watch it. And, yeah, like the opening scene of Hidden Fortress is like 
I was like, holy shit, it's Star Wars. <laughs> oh, d- down to the medal ceremony. Instead of two droids, you get two peasants fighting at each other. I mean, you got a princess. It's it's freaking Star Wars. Uh, yeah. it, it really just blew my mind uh, the first time I saw it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it, that's why I get excited about movies like Blind Fury, because I feel it's a little bit of a gateway drug. Because once you, if, if you look at that film and you go, well, I kind of liked it or you love it. And, and you want more films like that, it will open up um, your viewing experience, especially if you're not put off by subtitles, to like this this whole world of uh, samurai and ronin films. And we're going to talk specifically about Zatuichi because you, you already talked about this, Josh. Blind Fury is a remake of the 17th Zatuichi film. And, we'll, and some people are like, 17th film in a series? Yeah, there, there's a lot of them. We'll, we'll go into detail 26, about that. 26, right? Isn't there 26? 26 plus uh, Beat Takashi did a film. Yeah. And I don't. I think that's outside of the 26. Yeah, so when people complain about Fast and Furious going on the 10th film, Nick. You did not just compare Fast and Furious <laughs> to Zatoichi movie. Well, I, I'm just saying. I've only seen one Zatoichi movie at this point, Brad, and that is just not. No, I, don't I find that. that offensive as well, Brad. <laughs> okay, but yeah. uh, and and there was a TV show that has 100 episodes, uh, played by the same character that was in the film, mm-hmm. or same actor yeah. who was in the film. So a lot of history on that. We're going to spend a little bit of time after we talk about this action classic from the 80s. Yeah, I, I said it. it's an action classic, Brad. You always take us back and, and we kind of talk about when this film was released, what else was out there, and how did this do financially. So uh, let, let's start there. Give it, give us a little yeah. history lesson. So you keep saying this was released in 1989. It was in Germany, but in the United States, it re- was released in March of 1990. So I'm claiming this is a 90s film, Troy. I'm a 90s uh, kid. And I'm, we I'm can debate this. that, but this is 80s through and through. So, oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. <laughs> um, I don't have a reported budget on this one. Um, I do have a box office total of $2.6 million. I do know there was a planned sequel for this movie, but since this did not make any money, um, they scrapped that pretty much immediately. So, um, it was, re- it was received at the time as a bomb. Um, Rotten Tomatoes has it. At 53% with the critics and 51% with the audience. Audience, I don't know what you're doing. This is your head right. Yeah, seriously, people. This is why we can't have nice things on the internet. Yep. And then opening weekend. Okay. So March of 1990. Holy shit, dude. Um, (laughs) Blind Fury makes about uh, 886K. I'm sorry, 868. And I, I saw this in the theater a couple of times. Oh my uh, gosh. And, yes. And this in this is my senior year. So this was a perfect get the guys together uh high school, go watch this film. So Okay. So and I love it's TriStar and I love seeing the that damn unicorn at the beginning of TriStar. But anyway, that was good enough for 12th place. <laughs> wow. Um films like Hunt for the Red October, Joe versus the Volcano. Lord of the Flies, House Party, Blue Steel, Driving Miss Daisy, Bad Influence, Hard to Kill, Born on the Fourth of July, all were showing in the theater when this came out. Yeah, some st- stiff competition. There. Yes, yes. Um, buried. So, it got buried. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the Hunt for Red October made two hundred um, million dollars, which for nineteen ninety is a ton of money. But listen to this. Pretty Woman comes out March of 90 on the 23rd. Pretty Woman made 432 
million dollars in 1990. A a, so a Disney film, technically, because that was released through Touchstone Pictures. That's Touchstone. when they said, "Hey, we're we're going to do adult products for our films, but it, it's going out under a different banner, which is crazy." Yep, yep. Um, even a film like Nuns on the Run, which is a comedy from 1990. Eric Idle. Yep, yep. Made eleven million dollars, and so Blind Fury was kind of the uh, uh, odd man out, if you will. Oh, and Ninja Turtles came out that month, which is a movie I saw in the theater as a seven-year-old boy, Troy, and it made two hundred million dollars. So there you go. That's nuts. A lot of lot of films out that month. <clears throat> does do does our uh, favorite website? Did they happen to review this one? They actually have an actual review, but it's not very funny. So, uh, well, how many? Like, where did it uh, score? It does, on they the... didn't do the. They didn't do the scale. That's why it's not any good. What? I don't know. I don't know what it would be. It's probably like a negative two. Okay. Probably you want to tell everybody what we're talking about, just in case this yeah. is like their it's first movie, episode. It's Movie Guide. Uh, it's a Christian website that reviews films for their appropriateness. They have a weird uh, scale. It's plus four to negative four. Uh, plus four being the most holy and uh, negative four being right next door to the devil, if you will. So, yeah, you're going to hell if you watch it kind of thing. Yeah. If you're negative four. Okay. I wonder where the 10 commandments lands on that scale. Ooh, good one. I don't know. That's we'll have to look that up. Probably at least a solid two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let, let's talk about the people who made this sucker. So everybody behind the camera, uh, let's start there. Director Philip Noyce. Uh, are, are you guys familiar with uh, this director or his work? Oh, hell yeah. What You got the a favorite of his? <laughs> the Saint. The Saint, 1997. Uh, yeah, he's he's still making films. He had something come out uh, in 2021 called The Desperate Hour. I don't think it did so well, either um, you know, financially or, or critically. Oh my gosh, he did Salt. He did Salt in 2010. I'm, I'm just, he has a pretty eclectic filmography, but it, it's funny, you talked about The Hunt for Red October. He directed Clear and Present Danger from 94 and Patriot Games in 92, which is part of that Tom Clancy universe. It's Jack Ryan, the Jack Ryan universe. The Jack Ryan universe. He did yep. Salt in 2010, Saint 97. In 1989, he had another film. So this this is one that I think it got released on a limited theatrical because I don't remember catching this one until home video. And I'm curious if you guys have seen this, but it's with Nicole Kidman and it's called dead calm. Uh, Sam Neill as well. My friend, Sam Neill is in that. Billy, Billy, Zane. Billy Zane. Billy yeah. Zane. Yeah, yeah. Zane guys. Yeah. Come yeah. On. Come it's, on. it's basically three people on a boat more or less. Um, are you a fan of this one? I don't know if I've seen it in the maybe 30 years. So it's hard for me to even remember if I like it. I, Probably, probably. <laughs> it's okay. one of those movies for me that I always caught on cable, and it was like, it's it's kind of one of those, you know, like a, like a sex like a sex thriller almost. Like it's got all kinds of different stuff in it, but there's like all these different situations. I remember watching it as a kid and being like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be watching this, and that's that was kind of the appeal of it. <laughs> um, but I mean, Billy Zane terrorizing people on a boat, I was in into that, and I remember watching that one. I've only really seen a lot of the stuff that he's done as far as thrillers go, like Sliver and The Bone yeah. Collector. And I, I would say of his thrillers in that ilk, Deadcom is the best one. I, I actually like Deadcom a lot. I, I think it's a really good, tense sort of three person play almost on a boat. Um, and, and you know, what can you say about Patriot games, clear and present danger, St. Salt? I think the guy handles action very well. Um, sliver. Eh, yeah. I'm sure Jose loves that one, 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's got a really interesting filmography, but I definitely would tell everybody go back and revisit dead column. A, if you haven't seen it, I think it's a, a fun discovery and B, if it's been like decades since you have watched it, go back and revisit it. It's really good. This is what I'm really excited about. The screenplay is done by Charles Robert Carner. Okay. Um, and he also did the story. He directed probably it, the cheesiest uh, film to come out of the 80s in the martial arts genre. And that is none other than Jim Cotta from 1985, starring one Kurt Thomas and directed by Robert Klaus. Yes, Robert Klaus, director of Enter the Dragon. Josh, I got to know, have, have you ever seen Jim Cotta? I have not seen Jim Cotta. Oh, oh my God, God, Josh, Josh, Josh. <laughs> Josh, listen, that that movie is going to change your life, but it needs to be a group watch and, <laughs> and get a few beers. I'm telling you, it is fantastic. Brad, I, you, you've got a rep for this one, right? Oh, yes. I, Jim Cotta is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I in all the best seen, ways. In all the best ways. I may have seen bits and pieces of it here and there, but I don't remember a full watch of it. It, uh, it has Richard Norton as this crazy bag. I mean, it's basically an Olympic gymnast who goes on to a, a, an island, a martial artist, and just is flippy kicking everybody. Yeah, it's gymnastics and karate combined. Oh, it's fantastic, man. The Sounds ancient like Mortal Kombat. Is no, 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 no. Mortal Kombat doesn't even come close. Don't to you ever Kata. talk about my movie like that, Josh? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, cinematography. Uh, by Don Burgess. So he was nominated for an Academy Award for a film Brad loves. Um, Forrest Gump, 1994. He also, sh- <laughs> what, Brad? You're about ready to say something? I, don't, I hate Forrest Gump. You always complain about Forrest Gump. It wasn't the best movie of 1994. Oh, okay. All right. Well, the the middle of the road movie that like swept the Academy Award. It was arguably the, the third best of that year. The third. Okay. Uh, so what was the first? I'm curious Pulp to know. Fiction. Really? <laughs> you had to ask that? <laughs> Gosh, oh Pulp God. Fiction. Have you heard of it? Yeah. No, I've never seen I know, it. I know. <laughs> uh, but Don, he's, I mean, he's shot a lot of films. He did Castaway in 2000, Spider-Man in 2002, Conjuring 2 in 2011. Uh, a recent one he did, Aquaman in 2018. So um, he's he's got some pedigree there, wow, right? he's still doing a lot of work. He is, yeah. What's interesting, and we'll talk about this in, in the kind of production and development. It was produced by Daniel Grodnick and one Tim Matheson. Are you guys familiar with Tim Matheson? Yeah. He's like a national lampoon. He's a yes. national lampoons guy. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's primarily known as an actor. And so national lampoons, animal house, and some people might know him from the West wing. Uh, oh, and, yeah. and this was his, his kind of um, first adventure into producing. So this this was the very first film that he produced because he wanted to get in that end of the business. Um, and real quick, before we kind of talk about the people in front of the camera, I want to bring some attention to one Stephen Lambert. He was the Josh. You would know. You would know uh, what's his name from Fletch. He was Alan. Oh, Tim Matheson. Yeah, he's the Tim bad guy. Matheson is Alan from Fletch. Gotcha. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, that's a good that's a good call out. Totally forgot about Fletch. Yeah. Uh, Steven Lambert, the sword fight coordinator. Now listen to the movies that, uh, he has worked on and, and Brad, you're going to get a kick out of this. He, he's actually worked on a couple of films we've talked about. So dragon, the Bruce Lee story, 1993 with, uh, Jason Scott Lee. He was a stunt coordinator, right? 
a a movie that I think our good friend Sammy mentioned when he was on the show that I just saw a couple of months ago and thought it was freaking brilliant. I I didn't even know there's a stunt coordinator to it, but Fear of a Black Hat from 1993, which is a fake documentary about um, a rap group in the early 90s. It's really good. He did stunts for 1992's Army of Darkness. He also worked on a little film that I think you picked, Brad, from 1992 called Livewire. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. He also worked on a little film that I picked from 1985 called Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. He was the stunt Mm. double for Fred Ward. Oh, this is where it gets really good. You ready? Ninja 3, The Domination, 1984, stunt coordinator. Man, that's, that's some credentials. Revenge of the Ninja, 1983, stunt coordinator. And then uh, one of his first stunt credits goes all the way back to 1978. He was a stunt performer for Good Guys Wear Black with Chuck Norris. So Good Guys Wear Black. I, I think that's the trucker movie. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 you're right. Okay. So just, uh, just a couple of people to talk about behind the scenes. Let's talk about the people in front of the camera. We'll start with Rudger Hauer. Okay, Josh, thoughts on Rudger Hauer? I I have a very deep love for Rudger Hauer, and I haven't seen all of his stuff, but he's in a lot of movies that I hold near and dear to my heart. Um, this one somehow slipped by me in, in the 80s, 90s, whatever you want to call it, Brad. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I didn't even know he was in this movie. I didn't know anything about this movie until a few years ago when I really started getting back into the Shokasugi movies. But um, I mean, Rugger Howard's been in a lot of things. Like I just, I did a episode with my buddy Nathan on our show about the Hitcher. Yes. And the Hitcher is kind of like the st- main staple for Rugger Howard for me. A lot of people would probably say, Brad Blade, Runner. Blade, Blade Runner. Blade <laughs> Runner. Um, Boy Batty, yes. I, I would say Nighthawks was Sylvester Stallone, 1981. I missed that one, which is which is amazing considering I'm a Stallone fan. That's one of the ones I missed. But yeah, I mean, I, I like Rucker Hauer. And now, you know, once we start talking about this movie, I've got a few things to say. But, you know. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny you say. I, I didn't know this. He had 176 acting credits. Um, so yeah, Nighthawks and the eighties and nineties for Rudger were really good. So j- just listen to this Nighthawks in 81 Blade Runner in 82 Lady Hawk in 85, which is another one that I grew up on. Love that one. Uh, flesh and blood from 1985, which is Verhoeven. That's it, Paul Verhoeven. It is. Yeah. It's really good. Another kind of, I think it's underrated, uh, action film from 1986, that was also the same year as the Hitcher was called wanted dead or alive. That's a lot of fun. Uh, we talked about the Hitcher blind fury, a sort of action horror film that he did in early nineties split second in 1992. Oh yeah. Split second is dope. Yeah. And, uh, totally forgot that that same year he was in Buffy, the vampire slayer. So the, the film version. And of course he has starred in a film, uh, with Jackie Chan, 2019's the iron mask. So, there's, there's your, if you're, if you're playing not a bomb bingo, put your little, I don't know. You what, missed a, uh, you missed a breed apart. Uh, that, that was, oh, yeah, yeah. He, he did with, um, oh, shit, uh, Kathleen Turner mm-hmm. and, um, uh, powers booth where he's yeah. like this uh, guy living off the grid and whatnot. I just watched it again recently. That was another one. Like my mom had it taped on a, on a VHS and I watched it all the time when I was a kid and it's not particularly a, a great movie, but I remember watching it all the time. And he was just kind of this 
you know, uh, post-traumatic stress war hero and living off of the grid. And it's about him and his relationship with uh, Kathleen Turner and whatnot. It's, it's a decent watch, but I won't say it's a great movie by any means. Yeah, you'll forget he's also in like Batman Begins. He's yeah. William Earl or whatever that guy's name is. Yeah. Yeah, even even later in the years he was doing stuff like Hobo with a Shotgun, which is just this sort of grindhouse oh, yes, throwback. That's right. Um I've I've always enjoyed him. Like when I see Rudger Hauer in something, I, I get kind of excited because I, I really think he's just a fun actor to watch. And he's one of those actors too that I I do think to every role he brings something a little bit different. So if you were to go back and look at the stuff he does in a filmography, I mean, he's not one of those actors that just is always showing up as Rutger Howard, but he really is trying to bring something different to each one of those characters. Um, Terry O'Quinn is Frank Devereaux. I think a lot Terrence, of people, Terrence, if you will, <laughs> Terrence um, lost the TV series. I didn't realize lost was on that long. 2004 to 2010. Yeah. Where nothing ever happens on a TV show. It sure did go for a really long time. Yeah. Uh, okay. I've been dreading this one, but we got to get to it. So as, as Frank's son, Billy, we have Brandon call, which most people will know him from step-by-step the TV series from 91 to 98. And, uh, yeah, God, he's, he's in a film that we're going to talk about. Uh, He's he's in the adventures of Ford Fairlane. (laughs) I've seen that kid in something, but I can't place what it is because I haven't seen Ford Fairlane. Hey, Brandon, bring in your mom. Let me see it. It's oh, God. Hey. Okay. All right. That's you hit your limit. <laughs> <laughs> You're done. But, I mean, this kid looks this fucking whore. Okay, sorry, <laughs> this kid looks like your just generic 10 year old that would be in an 80s movie and. I don't know. Like I, I recognized him and I kept racking my brain the entire movie, but even looking at, at his filmography, like I can't, I can't place what I know this kid. From. He's in Warlock. Yeah. He's in Warlock. That could be, that could be what it is. Cause I did watch yeah. Warlock quite a bit as a kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. He's like a one bowl. Like he doesn't have a bowl cut in this, but he's literally like one bowl cut away from just being the most annoying kid, you know, in the fifth grade. So yeah, pretty no much. Bowl cut. He's, he's pretty much got a mullet though. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And not a cool yeah. mullet either. Not, not no. like a, yeah, all no. right. Not like a Budnick mullet or anything like that. It was one of those haircuts when you were that age that you were like, "Oh, I want to grow my hair out." So your mom <laughs> let you grow your hair and like, and when, the, when we, and would cut it like that. Yeah. it's like like the uh, uh, it's like the metamorphosis of a mullet or something like that. <laughs> yeah, mullet gone wrong. I agree. Uh, Noble Willingham is McCready. You might know him from City Slickers, and we I think just talked about this, Josh, the Last Boy Scout. He's in that from 1991. And, oh, Shelley. Uh, Ace Walker, Ventura. Texas Ranger. Walker, Texas Ranger. Yep. We've Troy, got, guess what? What? Walker told me I had AIDS. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for anybody who wants to know where that joke comes from, um, it's a YouTube clip from a uh, an episode of Walker, Texas. It's it's a very sentimental, sweet uh, scene. And then the kid announces that Walker told him he had AIDS. Uh, that was their AIDS special or something. Yep. Uh, the kid sells it. Literally man. the best 20 seconds of cinema, period. <laughs> television. 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 I'm sorry. Yes, television. There you go. Uh, Lisa Blount plays Annie. You might remember her from 1987's Prince of Darkness. That's the only film that I kind of recognize her from. We get Nick Cassavetti as Lyle, son of Gina Rollins and director John Cassavetti. Uh, Rick Overton as Tector. So those are our two bumbling idiots. Uh, this one's fun. Randall. Hey, Troy, did, yeah. did you know, do you know what those two guys, isn't that a, a wild bunch reference? Yes. Yep. Okay. Lyle and Tector. 
Damn, get, I thought I was going to get you on that one. No. Um, Randall Tex Cobb as slag. Now this guy's pretty interesting. He's had a kickboxing career, a pro boxing career, and then he turned actor. Uh, he's, he's been in, I think a lot of people from the eighties would know him from raising Arizona. That was in 87, but he was also in uncommon valor from 1983, which is a great action film. The golden child in 86 Fletch lives in 89. Since we're talking about Fletch, he was in this film. I'm, I'm curious if you guys have seen this collision course with Pat Morita and Jay Leno. Ooh, yes. From 89. That movie's terrible. Oh my God. It's terrible. I know, uh, I know of the movie, but I have not seen it. I don't know if I'm okay. Troy, just pause for a second. Yes, you, the guy fought fifty times. Yes, he won forty three matches. He lost seven. Six of those were by decision, so they went the full length. Yeah, one time he was knocked out mm-hmm. in fifty in fifty uh, matches. He was knocked out one time. That's not bad. No, he. He, he's got some city miles on his face, man. You can tell. <laughs> okay. um, yeah. Ernest, That's a nice way of saying yeah. someone is ugly. So I, yeah, I did say he's ugly. He's got that definition and character. I mean, he is built uh, to play a heavy and he does it so well. I, I, I'm not insulting the guy as well. The guy is super intimidating and you can tell that he's kind of used that to his advantage, even outside of acting. Um, with his boxing and kickboxing career. I, I, I love Randall Tex Cobb. I get excited when I see him, especially in these heavy roles. I would love to see him and like Robert Zadar go at, go at it and see who wins. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and then the, uh, Meg Foster as Lynn. Now, Brad, you'll, you'll know her from masters of the universe. She was mm-hmm. evil Lynn, right? Yeah, that's right. She, yeah, yeah, correct. Okay. And then, uh, 1988's they live John Carpenter classic. Uh, she she just has these really distinctive eyes that are her so eye, cool. like yeah. they're like gray. She's like gray eyes because I used to think, oh no, those are blue, but no, it's like no, they're they're. Gray. I think they're freaking cool. Like although in the scene in the scene between he and or Rugger Hauer and her in this when she's on the couch, like it kept cutting back and forth to their faces, and I was looking at their eyes, and they they almost had like the same color eyes. It was really freaking me out because that's the main thing I think about with Meg Foster is her eyes are weird looking, but. I kept cutting back and forth, and I was just like, "Her eyes don't look so weird when you cut back and forth like that." What's going on? <laughs> I, I've always, I've, I, I just love the the her look, and especially those eyes. I've, I've always found it really interesting and and um, super cool. She and, was in a bunch of '80s movies, like '80s horror stuff, and I think she's been working with Rob Zombie lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Mm, um, that's, that's Brad's favorite Rob Zombie, as a matter of fact, Rob next Zombie, to Tarantino. Lastly, now he goes by the assassin, but we have none other than Sho Kasugi, which really is the foundation of our friendship, right? I I feel like (laughs) we should spilt on the house that Sho built. Yep. Yeah, I feel like we should start a fan club or something. Um, We'll we'll table that and talk about it after the podcast. (laughs) Uh, Real quick, production and development before we kind of share our thoughts. Blind Fury, um, and I, I mentioned this earlier, was the producing debut of actor Tim Matheson. Matheson produced the film having been a fan of the Zatoichi films. So he knew about those movies and he wanted to kind of bring him to the States. Oh, did he? Did he know about the Zatoichi movies? Uh, He did. And Matheson and producer Daniel Grodnick spent seven years. So seven years trying to find a distributor for the film. That makes sense if you think about it, because show came around in the eight, you know, this is late eighties, early nineties. And 
it kind of misses that ninja wave. It does. They've been working on it. They went through a couple of directors. I don't know how many screenwriters, but they, they had worked for seven years to get this going. And in 1986, the producers landed a deal with film distributor TriStar Pictures. Um, and again, they went through a bunch of people before they sort of landed on Philip Noyce uh, as, a, as the director. And Rutger Hauer went through a lot of training for this film. And he called Blind Fury one of his most difficult jobs because of the combination of swordplay with playing a blind man. And Howard spent a month training with Lynn Manning. So Lynn Manning is a real blind um, judoka. And he's also credited as the blindness technical advisor on the film. And uh, basically, they just worked every day leading up to the film. And there's all these stories about Rutger Howard getting up at four, you know, 4.30 a.m., practicing his sword work, doing all this conditioning, trying to get the part right um, while they were doing the, the filming in the Midwest. So I'm going to stop there. And um, I want to talk about the film, Blind Fury. And then uh, we're going to spend some time talking about its source material. But I'm going to kick it over to you, Josh, because I've been I've been following some of your comments there on Twitter since you watched the film and uh, being one who can read somebody's body language and pick up on the nuances of sarcasm in their little digs as we're talking. uh, I, I just have this feeling you're not going to share the love of Blind Fury that maybe Brad and I have, which is totally fair. It's totally fair. It's okay to be wrong. But um, I'm really curious about your thoughts on watching this, since this is your uh, second second viewing. You said second viewing. Okay. And and you know this is a movie that would have been right up my alley when I was a kid. You know we've talked about this in the Highlander episode, um, but having it you know miss me when I was a kid, you know coming back to it as an adult now. It's really like I, whenever I was going to watch it, I told Jenny, you know, my wife, I was like, do you want to watch a cheesy eighties action Kung Fu movie with me? And she was like, sure. And we got done watching it and she was like, that was a, a good, uh, description of that movie, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, um, well, a, know. that would be a terrible description cause there's no Kung Fu in the movie. Well, you know, technically. Well, Technically, we're, we're talking to Troy here. <laughs> lives you and breathes. Get that right, okay? Well, but, technically, yeah, I mean, technically, kung fu means time and energy. So I guess I guess it would be a kung fu film. So yeah, go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> but no, I mean, you, you throw in you know Rucker Hauer, Shokasugi. Um, I mean, it, it has all the elements of things that I loved growing up and watching. It's just watching it now as an adult, I wasn't able to to kind of find that child child wonderment in it and just kind of watch it as an adult. And, you know, if you watch it now and if you've never seen it before, I mean, it's, it's easy to say, you know, it's, it's got some cheesiness to it. It doesn't move all that fast as far you know, if, if you're comparing, you know, recent movies, but it, you know, it doesn't have to, it's an older movie. Um, I, you know, a lot of times when I make comments about movies, people seem to misconstrue what my opinion of the movie is. Uh, Case in point, Jurassic Park. I talk a bunch of shit about Jurassic Park. I don't dislike that movie. There's just issues I have with that movie where a lot of people love it. And it's, you know, regarded as as this great movie. And I don't find it that that way. I do enjoy the movie, though. And that's kind of how I feel about Blind Fury. I mean, I don't hate this movie. I I have a good time watching it. My wife and I were were cackling at some of the stuff that going on in it. And I, I love, you know, watching Rucker Hauer. However... I kind of feel like Rugger Hauer's bad in this. Oh, shut your mouth. No way. No. <laughs> I, oh, I'm clutching my I, pearls over here, Josh. You're going to give me another coronary. 
I just something about his performance doesn't 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 mesh with me. I don't know. Like I'm I'm not believing him as a blind blind swordsman. Like I I just something about the way he plays it doesn't work for me. And again, maybe if I would have saw it when I was eight, nine, ten years old, I would I would not be saying this. And the uh, same thing can be said for all the Shokasugi movies. I might not feel that way about them if I hadn't watched them when I was a kid. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, that was I, the biggest thing I walked away from it watching it this time was just like, I feel, I feel like Rucker Howard's bad in this movie. Well, I want to I want to I want to peel the onion back on this one a little bit. So you have talked about nostalgia being a big factor in your ability to enjoy this, meaning if you had watched this at the right age, then coming into it as an adult. Mm-hmm. you would have more appreciation for it just because you could say, Hey, I, I know what amazed me at that time. So you were just right. talking about like revenge of the ninja being, you know, one of your, your childhood movies, we'll, we'll say where mm-hmm. you're going to the video store, you're looking at it. And so when you watch it now, it, it feels like a trip back into that time frame, right? It's right. It makes exactly. you feel good. Right. So your opinion on this one is from, and we'll get critical here for a minute. So from the direction, the editing, the cinematography, the performances, all the things that kind of make up the craft of a film, you don't see it as being strong in any one of those fields or it, it's just. Meh. I feel like a movie that came out at that time. I, I don't I don't I don't feel the strong suits and all of that. Um, I, I, you know. Editing is fine. The, the 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 score is awful. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> the score to this movie is is not my favorite. Um, and it's just you know when I'm a kid, I'm not looking at little nuances of movies. I'm really just kind of taking in the story and the hero and and the the journey they're taking me on. As an adult and also someone who hosts a podcast and is talking about this movie on a podcast, like it's hard for me to disassociate like guys that have their shirts tied on the side, like a, like a little, like a, like a teeny bopper girl would. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why the fuck is that guy got his shirt tied like that? Like those are the little things that I'm looking at watching it as an adult now, which is taking me away from, Oh, a blind swordsman is kicking people's ass. Like I'm, I'm watching it through that lens now, as opposed to watching Rucker Hauer kick people's ass as a blind swordsman. You so, know? so my follow up question, cause I listened to your podcast, you know, pretty religiously. I love it. Mm-hmm is I know how much of a horror fan you are. And you talk about a lot of films that would fall into that cheesiness and uh, lacks a little bit of logic, has a goofy side to it, but it fits firmly within that horror genre. So when, when I hear you talk about some of these films and, and you, I, I know you talked about like the latest Texas Chainsaw Massacre as an example on one of your shows. Right. And that one I think has quality issues, but I can also kind of take a step back and go, hey, for its genre elements, it's kind of checking the boxes and it's got a lot of stuff working for it in that regards. But mm-hmm. oh my God, it has one scene in it that's just absolutely infuriates me in terms of why would they do something, right? I, I don't want to spoil right. it. What is the difference between like Josh did at Scream Five? Thanks, <laughs> yeah, thanks, Josh. Um, Sorry for not putting a spoiler. Yeah, that's on okay. It's okay. It's okay. Everyone, <laughs> that that is the problem with listening to movie podcasts. And and you know, full disclosure, we spoil everything. Um, but uh, I, I'm curious because I know myself 
when I walk into the action genre, I will look for the action tropes. And sometimes I'm grading that on whether or not it's hitting um, those genre stereotypes and how well it's doing at that, right? Mm-hmm. And when I listen to your podcast, and especially when you talk about horror films, I feel, and this is just me projecting, right? That you do the a little bit of the same thing with horror films when you go through and say, yeah, I know it has quality problems and I, I know there's logic issues and, and maybe the performance isn't that great, et cetera. But you will forego those things if that horror film is checking the boxes for that genre and is at least delivering a competent horror film. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yes and no, because I, I feel like I, I can do that. And I usually do bring some form of nostalgia, even if I haven't seen a movie. I'll bring some form of nostalgia from myself to something like that. Um, but I... I've also started to try and be a lot less critical of movies, especially watching them the first time, mm-hmm. because I, I've really started to learn as you as you get older that like you can't really form a full opinion the first time you watch something or the first time you listen to something. And, you know, that was why I was interested in coming on and talking about this with you guys. It was going to be, you know, I would be watching this again, seeing how I feel about it this time. And because the the first watch of this for me was a little underwhelming, uh, mainly because, you know, I was told Shokasugi was in this movie and he's in this movie for five fucking minutes. <laughs> Fuck, that, that might be a stretch. <laughs> that did nothing for, for, for checking the box for me on that regard. Um, but I don't know, like something about Blind Fury, uh, it seems... I don't know. Like there's something too heartfelt and genuine about Rucker Hauer and the relationship with the kid, but I don't know. Like there's just something that's disassociative with it for me. Like, I don't know why I can't, you know, look past something that I would look past. Like what you would say for an horror, for a horror movie. It's, it, it was hard for me to get past a lot. Like I think a lot of the comedy in this works, definitely works on a comedic aspect for me Dude, a guy says i'm gonna put that blind man in a wheelchair it's the <laughs> yeah. best line ever <laughs> oh it's not the best line that's a good one but it, yeah that's a really good line but yeah you know, just you know and I've, I've i've also noticed that the more i watch things the more i do end up liking them in the long run but on a second watch for this one it was hard to to walk away from it you know just loving it. it. You know, it's, it was entertaining. It's not, you know, I, I wouldn't put this, honestly, I wouldn't put this in the same category as Highlander. Like I would rather watch this again than Highlander, but I feel like the choreography and the, <laughs> and the sword fighting in this is miles better than the Highlander. Oh, I, I Highlander always wins, Josh. I, I agree <laughs> with you on that. I, I'm just always curious uh, about, because I, I would be the first to say you already get a few bumps in terms of my ability to like something if you fall into a particular genre that I like. So horror and action are the two that I gravitate to. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm kind of more forgiving in those two versus a comedy science fiction or, or some of the others just because of taste. So I, I guess that's writing on a curve a little bit. Yeah. I, that's probably a better way of saying it is you, you end up great grading some of these movies on a curve um, just simply because that's like your taste of it. So I'm always curious, um, again, listening to a lot of films where I agree with you on your podcast where I'm like, yeah, that, that may, you know, somebody could come up to you and go, well, that movie's terrible. And I'm like, yeah, I agree with you, but these things outweigh that terribleness that you see from a critical perspective. And I didn't know if, if you looked at it from, from that prism. No, I mean, I, I, I honestly, in this one, am really just kind of looking for something to like and, 
it, it, it just doesn't, as you say, check all those boxes for me. Uh, I do like a lot in this, but you know, when we're talking about, you know, again, we'll, I'll bring up Shokasugi, like this movie is on the same level as any of those Shokasugi movies, in my opinion, but this one, maybe because I'm, I'm wanting more Shokasugi in it. Uh, this one just isn't the, I would rather watch any of the other Shokasugi movies than this again. Like I, I'm more entertained by those. Again, I bring nostalgia to those and not this, but you know, you've also got Rucker Hauer here. You've got Shokasugi. You've got a bunch of people I have seen from eighties movies and t- television and whatnot. But um, I feel like a lot of the acting in this is, is wooden and I'm, I don't know. It's really hard for me to buy Rucker Hauer as a blind swordsman. That's really my biggest hang up. Like I, I don't, I, I think Rucker Hauer is great. I don't think he's great in this movie. Okay. All right. I, I like that assessment. All right, Brad, you, you and I just watched this together in the same room. Like what a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. Almost a year ago over some sure. Domino's pizza. I think No, or? we watched this in the morning. This oh, is coffee, right. my friend. Yeah, yeah. That was after the Domino's pizza. Great. This is the morning after. This is when I, I, I opened your eyes to making coffee out of a Chemex, which has changed my life by the way. So yeah. yeah you're right. welcome. Thank you're you welcome. very much. Uh, well, let, let me, let me hear your thoughts on a revisit of this thing. Cause I, I know you've seen this a dozen times. Yeah. I Josh isn't wrong. Like calling this movie a Shogasugi movie is like very misleading. He's in it for two minutes. This is a Rucker Hour movie, first and foremost. Um, and it's got a lot that could turn you off, right? Like Brandon Call in this movie, the kid, is literally one of the top three most annoying kids you will ever see in a movie. Period. Agreed. That's the um, other, that's the other aspect that's working a negative for me is I don't like the kid. I don't think the relationship. No one. No one likes Rucker the Hauer kid. Is, is good at all. No one likes the kid. The kid is. There are some moments where the kid gets his, and they are so sweet. When he falls in the mud, starts crying is great. When he gets the rock to the face, just perfect. Um, so he does get his comeuppance every once in a while. And the movie does a very smart thing when they're like big action set piece for the third act, which we'll is have a kid over here to decide and not worry about the kid. So they do, they know, they know that kid is a, a shit bag kid. And we're just going to put him <laughs> over to the side. Um, it's again, we're, we're grading on a curve, right? Cause this is an action film. A woman takes a shotgun blast to the gut and dies. She has literally 30 seconds on screen before she is uh, shot in the gut. I don't know what that is on the Bechdel test, but it's not good. <laughs> like, I don't know what that's measuring. Um, but I, I really, and I, I think a lot of times Josh isn't wrong, right? Like there's some weird choices. I think the music is okay, but I could see someone being completely turned off by it. Um, the action in the sword play. Isn't something that I would say, Oh, it's the best I've ever seen. It's decent at best. Um, I do like Rucker Hauer, but it's like all these things combined make it a way better film. And I, I remember reading like old video game uh, reviews and it was like out of EGM or something. And they'd have all these parts of like graphics and gameplay and blah, 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 and story. And then they were here to the side. They would have like multipliers, this because of fun factor. And this is like one of those movies where like the fun factor just really ratchets everything up and makes it worth watching. Um, like I said, I mean, there's a weird, like this is like blind fury, AKA 
the public transportation movie. They're on a bus <laughs> in this movie for literally like 40 minutes. They take a bus from Florida to Reno. Can you imagine being on a bus for that long? Holy with people from Florida. No, thank you. Um, anyway. Uh, hey, I was born in Florida, buddy. Well, I don't know. Hey, ban, ban some more math books, Josh. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I think this movie's great. Um, everything outside of that shitbag kid, I really enjoy. Um, I like Rucker Hauer. He's always going to have a soft spot in my heart because he's in one of my favorite movies. And it's hard to, you know, like we we bring in all this baggage and, and, and it's hard for us sometimes to separate A, nostalgia, B, actors that we like, um, and then kind of stories that we like. Like I, I grew up on samurai films. Like that's what we did. And I didn't like Westerns. I'm very clueless on Westerns, but samurai films, I know quite a bit. Um, so this kind of falls right into my wheelhouse and, you know, that's kind of hard to like, uh, take that out of the equation because I just know it. And, and so when all that stuff combined, it's like, I, I can't look at this and not think this is an awesome movie, but I can totally see where people can come in and say, eh, it's, it's ridiculous, but I don't know if I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, like my wife and I had a great time watching it, but overall, it's it's kind of like you were saying, like the overall, like the the sum of the parts uh, and the whole, like don't don't come together very well for me. Yeah, and, it, and it's funny, is like again, like I don't know what it is about Rucker Howard's performance in this, but it's like he's he is charismatic in it. I see what he's trying to do. I see what he's bringing to the performance. It just for some reason doesn't gel with me. And maybe it's because he's having to work against this shit, shit actor kid. Uh, and, and, and like, there's also, you know, the tonal shifts between a lot of the scenes in this movie too. Like it seems to be very lighthearted for the most part, but then you get a hand completely chopped off of a guy. Like it, it yeah. it's, there's little, there's little parts in it that are just like, Whoa, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> you know? Well, like those old Japanese samurai films, what they did have like weird humor in them as well. Right. So it, it is funny. And we'll get into the Zatoichi part of this, but there is like, when they say this is a remake of a Zatoichi film, they are pulling like, it is a remake. Lots of, yeah. lots of stuff from it. Um, and, and so, yeah. And I think I give it credit for that too, because it's got its roots in samurai film. So anyway, I really like this movie. I can really understand why someone does, uh, doesn't now. Is it somewhere in the pantheon of, Ninja three revenge of the ninja enter the ninja, even like something like American ninja. Like I wouldn't put them, put that in, in that class. Um, but I still enjoy it. But if you were to say, Hey, put these in order, I think blind fury would be kind of more in the back, but I would still watch it with any, you know, if I'm over at someone's house and they say, let's watch blind fury, I would definitely not say no. Like I'm all about it. So yeah. And, 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 you know, before, you know, Troy, I know you're going to talk about the movie, but, you know, your comments about my comments on Twitter, uh, my, my other one of my uh, co-hosts on, on on our show, Eric, was talking about how he loved Blind Fury as a kid. And my tweet back to him was, well, do yourself a favor and watch Zatuichi Challenged instead if you want to catch up on things. And honestly, I did not know this was a remake of that movie. Um, I, I've never done any research about Blind Fury. I'm literally just going into it what, blind. blind. <laughs> <laughs> so when you guys said you were watching that movie for research, I was like, oh, I didn't even know. 
And my wife and I finished Blind Fury, watched the trailer for Zatoichi, and I was like, we should have watched that movie. That looks so much better. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it also has that as well. Like, we'll get into it once we start talking about that movie. But um, there are things that that does that are completely, you know, done, you know, shot for shot done in this movie. However, I feel like Zatoichi pulled it off better. It is it is hard to compare for me, and I, I'm I'm gonna uh, try and articulate the best I can. So, I think I've memorized this film uh, to a certain degree. This this is just one of those that when I discovered it in high school, uh, and when it came out on VHS, I mean, it, it was just a regular watch. I mean, we watched it in college a lot too. Yeah, and, this was on cable, and it was like on repeat all the time. Like, of course, I would I would pro- probably would love it because I had access to it so much and whatnot. But again, like. I, I, I never even heard of this until a couple of years ago. Yeah. And, and truth be told, I mean, I, I probably could have reviewed this without ever watching it this week. Uh, because, but I, I know I would, I would have watched it next month if I didn't watch it tonight. I mean, I, I just watched this movie. Uh, and I didn't know the Zatoichi film series even existed when I discovered this film. And, and to be quite honest, it, it might've been close to 10 years after this came out before I stumbled on Zatoichi. And even when I watched my first Zatoichi film, it wasn't the 17th one. I think it was the very first one. And it took me a while to kind of go, this really reminds me of this film I love called Black. Wait a minute. And then you put two and two together. And uh, all of a sudden you're like, holy cow. Yeah, they they pretty much remade a, a Zatoichi film. Um, I, I don't think it's a Shokasugi film, even though I get really excited when I see the credit special appearance from Shokasugi. Uh, and I didn't go into this even when I saw it thinking it was a Shokasugi film. I saw the trailer and I'm like, well, this looks kind of cool because I like Redger Hauer, uh, especially all the films that I saw him in the 80s. And I think uh, this film is pretty great because of Redger Hauer. Like if we were talking about Redger Hauer films, um, I, I think this is up there for me in terms of the ones that I watched and really appreciate what he does in this thing. So I disagree with both of you pretty harshly. I'm I'm on the far extreme, you know, I'm, I'm in the fan club. I'll buy the t-shirt. I bought the that freaking to movie be part of the course here lately, Brad. Wait, it, wait, it, yeah. like wait, every time I'm I, on the show, Troy feels completely different about I, something. Totally different. I, I mean, wait, I, I didn't say I didn't like, no, no, no. I, I, I understand. I, I think, I think this goes back to the Josh is like, yeah, it's an okay film that I, I have more problems with it. You're coming at it with like, yeah, I like this film, but you know, it's on the back end of the show Kasugi stuff or all the ninja films. I, I'm even then, I don't know if I would okay. compare this to a ninja film from the early eighties or something of I'm that nature. I'm just trying to put context in it. No, no, no. I, I agree. I just I am way more of a fanboy on this one. It, what I'm trying to say is I'm way more of a fanboy on this than I think you two are. Um, because I would look at the some of the things that you've talked about and go Ooh, I got an entirely different take on that. So I'll, I'll start with the first one, like Redger Hauer. Uh, I think he's freaking fantastic in this film. And I, I think he does an amazing job of bringing the blindness to the character and makes it feel authentic. Right out of the gate, there is this sequence when he is, <laughs> they give him a sword and they're swinging this melon. And it, I've, I've watched this scene hundreds of times. But what always fascinates me about that is that melon is coming right at him and he doesn't blink. He doesn't flinch. He doesn't. I mean, he it looks like a melon hits a a blind person. 
Um, and his reaction is fantastic too. So I don't know how many takes they did to get that right. But even that first sequence, it, it, if you were to throw anything at me with my eyes open in my peripherals or something, I'm going to have a tell or something that goes, Ooh, that's coming right at me. There's nothing on him. And I think he really delivers the comedy or the cheesiness and the melodramatic lines um, with the right tone for that scene. And I, I think that's, I mean, his acting is on full display here. So, you know, there's a great scene when, you know, <laughs> the comedy aspect of it, when he meets all the people in the restaurant and they put hot sauce in his burrito, et cetera. And he's doing sort of the Jackie Chan stick of, well, I'm hitting him, but I, I, it doesn't look like I'm really hitting him. It's all an accident. I think he sells it. There's also another sequence where he's talking with Frank and he's just basically saying, hey, I forgive you for leaving me in Vietnam, everything else. That scene works for me. I think if you take a step back and kind of look at what Rutger Howard's doing with the script, I don't think the script is very strong because they basically just took the scenarios from a Zatoichi film and brought them over almost scene for scene and tried to rework it for American audiences. But what he does with the script, I think is, is really good. At least his now, performance. I do have a question about this movie that came up watching it this time. And for being on a podcast with a couple of guys who've seen this movie a whole lot more than I have. Maybe you can shed some light on this for me, but there's the opening scene where we get our introduction to Rugger Hauer being blind. He's in Vietnam. Something has he happened. Said, he says, he says, I can't see 75 times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, you know, we get this, you know, whole buildup of him being lost in, in Vietnam and then he's found and he's trained as a blind swordsman, all this good stuff. And it all kind of centers on his relationship with Terry O'Quinn's character, right? Yep. And we get a flashback later of them in the situation. You kind of see what led to the blindness and how all that went down. I, how, how does Rutger Hauer's character know that Terry O'Quinn's character got out alive? I, 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 I'm struggling trying to figure out, like, how did he know to go find this guy? Because the situation is they're in a war zone. He loses his sight. He doesn't know what happens. Terry O'Quinn runs away, which becomes a part of the plot line, basically. But, like, being blind and he's, he, and he's, he's, he's captured from that point forward. So he never knows what the outcome of that scenario was. So the entire movie, I'm like, how the hell does he know to go looking for this guy? How does he even know he's alive? So I think there's a sequence um, when he goes to to visit um, his ex-wife, right, where Billy mm -hmm. is. I, I don't think he knows, much less cares, about Terry O'Quinn's character when he's over in that village in training. Like, to for all intent and purpose, he probably doesn't think he's ever going back to the States. But right. when he goes back to the States, there is a line where um, Meg Foster goes... I recognize your name. You're on the memorial as being um, killed. Dead. And, yep. Yeah. And he goes, he's been gone for like 20 years. Right? Yeah. Or and he goes, like yeah, I, I visited there. I've, I've seen it. So I think what's happening is there is a time span that they don't cover in the film, but they try to cover it with this one piece of dialogue where she's basically saying, hey, you were killed in action. You're, you're like supposed to be dead. And he basically says, oh, yeah, I was there. I was visiting all this. With I think which I which I think alludes to from you know what they're trying to do in a screenplay without just like well here's what I did for the last twenty years I think right. they're basically saying when he came back over here 
he was trying to put the pieces together to find out like what what happened, what's changed, who's alive, who's dead. Mm-hmm. And I think when he goes to that memorial and says, well, my name's there, Frank's name is not there, he starts to put two and two together. And then all of a sudden he goes, well, if if he's alive, I want to go talk to him. Well, it, but, beca- it becomes but, the beginning of first blood there for a minute. It, well, it does. Yeah. Troy, if I go up to a wall and it says I'm dead, then I know I'm not dead. Am I really taking the rest of those records like as gospel? Like, but no, not. Uh, but I, I know, I know one thing is right. I'm alive, but this thing's saying I'm dead. So am I going to take anything? That's the says, whole point I, of it. Yeah, is that he he goes to the wall and he goes, well, this information. But he has questions, right? So if he comes yeah. back over here and goes, where is everybody? Who's alive? Who's dead? I visited a wall. It says I'm dead, but I'm not dead. I agree with you. He's like, well, well where's Frank? Because obviously they were great friends, and he's carrying something on him. Um, in terms of some weight emotionally, but I, I think what they try to do, and again, this goes back to my comment that I, I do think the screenplay isn't strong. Um, the sequences are strong when they copy it from the original source material, but the stuff that they interject to Americanize it, I think is kind of weak. And that's a, yeah, that's a, a sequence that I think is kind of weak, but I, you can tell what they're trying to do here is he went to the wall, which insinuates he's been searching for a while to find everybody. And it, and it should be insinuated that this 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 part of the story was made up for the Americanized version. Yes, it was. There, yep. There's nothing in Zatoichi about any of this kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and you have to like a trope of Western films and samurai films is like the lone person samurai coming into town, correcting the wrongs of that town, and then leaving that town and going somewhere else. So like you kind of think of it like that, like, Oh, he's just coming into town. We literally see him walk into town. And then at the very end, we see him leave town and he's corrected. He's righted the wrongs of that town. And now he's going somewhere else. And that's kind of, I've always seen it. Like the Frank stuff in the backstory never is really clunky. Um, They try to tell it in some weird backstory in some flashbacks and they never really work. Cause you see different parts. And, and I don't know that stuff never really works for me, but. You know, I agree that the plot mechanics of this, the Americanized plot mechanics are clunky. I agree with yeah. that hundred percent. But if you just think of it as a samurai film where, you know, the samurai comes in the town and leaves town, then it makes way more sense. Yeah. That's why, you know, the Zachuichi stuff makes sense. Yeah. And that, and that's where I think Rudger Hauer's performance keeps it all together. Like without him, I think this would be kind of painful to watch uh, because it is a clunky story element when it's when you don't get these moments of kind of awesomeness that we'll talk about that, you know, if you're talking about, well, there's a sequence where he's sitting over a kid and he cuts a wasp and it's really cool. You know why that's cool? Cause it's in the original, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's like, I don't know now, maybe, okay. I'm going to tell myself here a little bit, but you know, if you've ever cheated on a test before and uh, you're <laughs> copying someone's work, but then you don't want to make it too obvious that you're cheating. So you do your own work every once in a while, then you get the test back. And all the stuff that you copied was right. And all the stuff you did was wrong. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay, that's this movie right here. So uh, yeah. everything they did by themselves, not great. And I, I think that's, I think Rudger Hauer uh, is the gel to keep it all together. Like he takes the good parts and he takes the clunky parts. And the reason why you're able to get from A to Z in this thing and have a lot of fun is because of him. Um, and I think he knows how to do the comedy. He knows how to do the emotional beats and in the melodrama and it works because of him. I, that's the thing. I don't think um, a lot of people will give a, a praise for this film 
is that central performance. Like without that central performance and if you put anybody else in there, I think it would feel really clunky. Like put Michael Dudikoff in there, super <laughs> clunky. I mean, it would it just it would be a terrible film. Rudger Hauer brings authenticity to the blind part and he keeps together the clunky parts and the really awesome parts going. I mean, even with my problems with Rucker Hauer in this movie, like I agree with you, he is, he is what's moving this movie along, but that doesn't, that doesn't take away from like, I technically the buses are so (laughs) true. (laughs) The transit system. Uh, But like I, something about him in that role still just doesn't gel with me. And it's, it's, you know, I, I understand that he's, He's the reason I'm able to get through this movie. Absolutely. But still, like, I, I still think him in that role is another reason why the movie as a whole isn't working for me. I, it's just, it's weird, man. And, and that's fair. That's fair. And I, I would say this, like, uh, after seeing, you know, the original Zatoichi, he doesn't hold a candle to the original actor, but I still like his um, take on it. Like Rudger is never going to be a Shintaro. He, he just isn't. But right. I like what Rudger does with his interpretation of this role. I think it's really good. The The other thing I want to get to is the action sequences. Um, I actually think the action in the sword play is pretty fantastic, ex- except for one. Um, but we talked about this a little bit um, in some of the other films. I'm a big fan when uh, the director or the cinematographer can show you the weight or the power um, or the hits without getting into the graphicness of it, et cetera. Like one of the, one of the greatest things I love about Jackie Chan films is they use wire work, but they use wire work in an interesting way you don't think of. So when they are punching each other or when he kicks them, the wires are attached to somebody's heel. And so if he kicks their feet, you got two or three guys like pulling on this wire to accentuate the fall, right? Yeah, the fall. Yep. So it's not it's not a wire to like lift somebody it's up the in the pusher, air. It's the pusher pulls, right? Yeah. So you're getting like these fantastic falls or these hits, and you feel you can feel it visually because of what they're doing with the special effects, et cetera. And I, I always appreciate that in the action films. I really like how they show the power of his sword technique. Um, right in the beginning when he's cutting up, you know, the fake cop, you're showing the damage through the bookshelf in the statue, right? Um, when he's top, when he's chopping the corn, he, they're showing the damage and representing like him just beheading three people in that cornfield. And I, I like how he uses the environment in this scenario to kind of forego the gore and everything else. It's, it's not the full on Jackie Chan. Hey, we're, we're adding wires and throwing people and doing flippies and stuff like that. Although show does a flippy at the end, which is really cool. Um, I, I like that aspect of the action sequences and I love the fact like my, <laughs> I, I, I gave enter the ninja a 10 on the gentleman's guide and, and revenge of the ninja 9.75. The, the 0.25, um, was really because revenge of the ninja has too much peaking opera choreography in it. And it goes on and on and on in some sequences versus, hey, you're having a sword fight. It's over, right? Because that's if you watch the Zatoichi films, there, there's a few slices. That's it. And then when it's not, you know he's against a formidable swordsman, right? Mm-hmm. This film copies that, and I think it does a really good job of it. 
And I, I kind of like the, uh, the fun it has with the action, with the car chase sequence, although there's no cops. And I feel now that Reno is the most yeah, dangerous place in the U S cause even the old ladies are packing. There's less cops in this movie than a Tarantino movie, man. Like, it is, cops yeah. do not ex- that granny pulls out that hand cannon. Oh my God. Well, that's, that's how you got to protect yourself in Reno. Yeah, um, my only gripe with this film Let's talk about the Kansas scene for no less than 45 minutes, please. It's the Kansas sequence. Okay. <laughs> so here we go. Well, okay. full background, Troy. Oh, I, I was, I was born in, and raised in Wichita, Kansas. So I'm a Jayhawk. Okay. Um, they are not in Kansas. So <laughs> first of all, buckle up, Josh, buckle up. They're, they're our, in odds. <laughs> our state is known for wheat and you can see like 20 miles on a clear day. Okay. In the rural spots. So, more than likely, they're probably in Indiana because I lived in Indiana for, you know, 10 years. I actually think they filmed this outside of Houston because they were filming, you know, in the Texas area. And those henchmen look like they're from southern rural Indiana, maybe even northern Kentucky, like Henderson area. Um, and uh, if you if you want more proof, they're not in Kansas. That truck stop is not where you get the best fudge in Kansas. It's actually <laughs> in Laura Little's Candies in Prairie Village, Kansas which is outside of Overland Park if you're ever out in that area. So yeah, totally inaccurate representation of the great state of Kansas. Um, (laughs) The sequence is ridiculous. So Slag is on a roof on the shed with his belly popping out of his shirt Mm -hmm. and his pants and everything. And he's clearly not wearing any type of vest whatsoever. I mean, he's sweating through. If there is a kid in that shed, that kid is getting doused with (laughs) sweat. (laughs) Okay. Because... Uh, you see everything, okay, uh, on slag, um, and there's no way a vest would fit, uh, you know, under that shirt and everything else. But later, he wakes up in the rain after being cut, which I didn't know. Being cut knocks you out, and he's got a bulletproof vest, and it saved his life. So, um, totally, totally silly. And the fact that you got some guy walking around in the in the cornfields eating popcorn with a double barrel shotgun <laughs> that that was a laugh out loud moment for my wife. Yeah, and, and so. <laughs> Yeah, and you know some dude is running around the cornfield ready to stab you or cut your head off, and you're just, do-do-do, let me have some popcorn. I don't know, man. That popcorn's pretty fresh, so yeah. I don't have it. it that, well, this, that, was an, this was another instance in the movie where I was a little like, you know, you know, uh, slag, like, how the fuck did he know these guys were going to be yeah. in the cornfield? Like, he just kind of shows up out of nowhere. I know, I know what you're going to say, Troy. It shows a shot of him following them earlier and watching the bus drive away. He did. I, I, I understand. But, like, the fact that he's in this particular cornfield when they are running through it is just kind of really convenient. Slag knew they were going to have a conversation about the dead mom and he would run off. And yeah, Slag's, Slag. <laughs> plans i think he, i think they were more upset about the false advertising about the best fudge and the fact that there was a sign that said you know you're in kansas and is even that the great <laughs> is that a crane shot when he is talking yeah. to billy about the mom and it pulls away like crane. well listen if if you did a crane shot in kansas you would literally see like 120 miles yeah. so yep. um through the flint hills and everything else so no that's you're like you're like me we just watched baby driver again recently and it takes place in atlanta and i live in atlanta and there's a particular scene where they're doing a heist and they're like, we got to get from perimeter to, to downtown and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you're not getting from perimeter to downtown in the time you guys <laughs> yeah. need to. Not yeah. in Atlanta traffic. Hell no. It's like anytime there's a 
something in New York City, or they're like, okay, we're gonna, you know, take that. You're like, you're not getting there at nope. any point in time because it's five o'clock on a Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. After, after going to New York, there's this scene in, in Cloverfield where they're walking the subway tunnels to try and avoid what's going on up up top. And they're talking about getting from this point to this point. And my wife and I have been to New York. We've taken the subway a lot of places. And they're like, oh, we can go here to here. I forget what they're talking, where they're talking about. But my wife and I were like, oh, no, you're not going to walk that. That's a little too far there, guys. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then and then the only thing I, I just want your guys' opinion on this. I love the last 20 minutes because it, it is one big action sequence. And you get Rudger Hauer like taking out 20 stupid henchmen. Uh, which is a lot of fun, and it leads yeah. to this awesome. I, I think it's I, of of the ninja films out there in the in the eighties or early nineties. I think this duel between Rudger Hauer and Shokasugi is really good. It's got some great choreography. You've got different sword styles at play here, and they're very authentic. And it's and it's lightning fast, but the editing never confuses you. I mean, you know spatially where everybody's at. Mm-hmm. And I think it's super exciting. And I like the fact that they acknowledge you're not going to beat Shokasugi one-on-one with the sword. So you just got to fucking electrocute him. Um, mm-hmm. That's real yeah, life I right just, there. My only gripe, and I get why they went with the samurai aspect of this, that sword play is quick yeah. and you're not going to have a long sword battle because that's just not how it works. I just want this to be longer <laughs> as, as someone who likes this action sequence. I just want it to be longer. Well, that's that's kind of what I'll say as we're getting to the end of this is like, yeah, I, I have not seen this movie very much to really kind of get it ingrained in my brain. But, you know, and, and, and I will say it's unfair for me to place the Shokasugi movie label on this movie. It's not a Shokasugi movie. It by isn't. Any no, correct. And uh, but like I just from the two times I've watched it so far again, like this movie works more as a comedy for me. I don't feel like the action sequences in this stand out very much. Like I don't like I can't I can't think of an action sequence in this that I was like, oh, that blew my mind, or that was better than anything I've seen in this movie or that movie. Like I I I, I like when he's hitting comedic beats, like doing the Jackie Jackie Chan style fighting with people in the beginning of the movie and whatnot. And I'm laughing when he's fighting this rogues gallery of of evil henchmen shooting at him. Like I would say that's probably the, the one, the one sequence in this that I, that, that is memorable for memorable for me is him fighting the henchmen in the dark room. But even the Shokasugi sword fight, like I'm, I'm not really all that. I, I really think you need to go back and just watch that sequence again and just take a step back and really study. It's so good. It really is good. I'll, and you I'll, get your eighties hot tub in the shot. It it's does. Like, yeah. Oh, we're, we're, this is a, 80s film, so or 90s, but 80s film, and we have to have a hot tub. So here it is. There's a hot tub scene in Revenge of the Ninja. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hot tubs and hot ninjas tubs. are a thing. So, yeah. uh, no, I look. I I think I think if you wanted to compare this more to a Jackie Chan film, you're closer than a Shokasugi film mm-hmm. because especially the action sequences that happen in the middle. So I'm talking mm-hmm. about the cornfield and then even the driving sequence, which I love. I think it's fun. That is very Jackie okay, okay. Chan X. So. The girl loses her glasses. Josh, if you lose your glasses, you could probably see more than a blind man, correct? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yes. So why in the world would we choose the blind guy to drive this car 
than the woman who just can't find her glasses. And again, like that, that may be the unfair advantage that I'm or unfair label that I'm putting on this movie is like going into it, thinking it's going to be something a lot more similar to revenge of the ninja or ninja three, the domination when this really relates a lot more to something like police story. Like I can, I can see comparisons to police story with this all day long. So, I mean, yeah, maybe watching it through the lens of, okay, maybe I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting something out of this that I didn't get. Let's watch it and, and see how it compares to this. Like, I'm not against watching this movie again. Again, I did enjoy this movie. There's just parts of it that don't work very well for me. I, I and maybe th- as I'm viewing it through that lens. I think you're, you, that's a really astute observation because I actually think if you, if you ratchet up the violence a little bit on this thing, it probably fits more in line with a Hong Kong 90s film. Um, because the only difference between, cause Hong Kong nineties film have that broad comedy that this has, mm-hmm. uh, with, with your, your two bumbling idiots, right. And the shit, fuck shit, fuck in the elevator, stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that feels like something from a broad Hong Kong nineties action film. Right. And this one is probably trying to do a little bit more of the Jackie Chan stuff where you're, you're seeing the action, but it's not gory or anything of that nature. Right. Um, so I, I think it's unfair to kind of go, well, this is the early eighties ninja film. Now nah, it's more of like a nineties Hong Kong film light. Um, and it is a combination of a Zatoichi film with a Jackie Chan nineties action comedy. Right. That, yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, I think that's a good segue to the dialogue. You, you mentioned one of the lines, Brad, which is really good. I'm going to put this blind man in a wheelchair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> come on, dude. I, I love the whole, uh, get me Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee's dead. Well, get me his brother. Then <laughs> I love, I love that exchange. I, I love this exchange between Billy and Nick where Billy goes, well, I get the window seat. You don't need it. You're blind. And Nick goes, got me there. You little prick. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the dialogue, like I said, those are the elements that I think it works with Rudger Hauer and the other performances, the, the plot, the Americanized plot mechanics doesn't. Um, but they're, they're just, there's so many good lines in this, you know, the, your walking advertisement for hiring the handicap. Um, and, and even you get a little bit more, I, I think where Rudger Hauer is trying to channel, um, Shintaro Katsu is, is when he says unreasonable men make life so difficult. I mean, that, that feels like straight out of a, a samurai film or a Zatoichi film. Um, I, I, I like, I like aspects of the writing, but I also think it's a clunky script or the American ice version stuff is. Yeah, the humor's always worked for me. It does, yeah. Yeah, the, the humor, the humor is is not the problem for me in this at all. Like it's, you know, it a lot of it is very much cheese, but that's the kind of cheese that I can respond to. Um, Terry O'Quinn's pretty bad in this too. Yeah, he's not his strength. He's, like, I mean, he's he's obviously not the the. the your focus actor in this, but like when he is on screen, like I know Terry O'Quinn can act. I've seen the dude do it, but in this, he's just kind of like, you could have put anybody in that role. And at that time he probably was just an anybody. Um, but yeah, he's, he's not that great in it. And like, I, I, I agree. Like, and this is where we could get into Zaktuichi a challenge, but like, I think that storyline in this movie just ultimately makes it. It's just not like you said, the, the Americanized story part of it. Like, I don't, I don't think it even really needs to be there. Yeah, I guess it it gives him a purpose to to I don't know because he has no connection to this kid except for Frank, so they have to connect him to the kid in right. some way. And and yeah, it's a roundabout way to get him and Billy together. And 
of course, Billy sucks. So, but I mean, like, yeah. the, the source material it's based off of, like Zatoichi, has nothing to do with the kid that he's with in that movie. Yeah, but that that's the seventeenth of a film entry. So by by that point, you you. But the kid is there when the mom dies in Zatoichi. So it, it, I mean, in in this he has two, but right. Yeah, it th- feels this, a little bit more natural in the other. It is Zatoichi for. But keep in mind, the seventeenth film is not trying to give you the Zatoichi origin. This right. one is at least trying to ground it in some type of origin so that when he shows up and the mom dies and he gets the kid, you know where, you know, Rutger Hauer's version is coming from. So that's it's one. Um, I don't know. It's it's kind of tying its arm behind the back in that regard, because it's basically saying we have to give you a little bit of a setup story, because for American audiences, keep in mind, 19. 19- uh, 89, American audiences need storylines, guys. Well, but they have no freaking clue who Zatuichi yeah. is at that point, yeah. right? So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I agree with all those comments. The the only the only other note I had um, was outside of the Kansas scenario, which is absolutely the most unrealistic thing in this film. The only other unrealistic thing is that Nick would like the kid at the end. I believe everything about that because that that Brandon call is just terrible. <laughs> God, he's a whiny little bitch. Oh my Good God, yeah. God. Um, and there are there are a couple of scenes between him and Rugger Howard that like their faces are entirely too close to one they another. Are, they're uncomfortably yeah. close. Yep. It is uncomfortable to watch at certain points. I'm like, I can't, like, uh, it's it's it like, and I you know. I don't know. I just there were there were definitely a couple moments in this where I was like, get back up a little bit, get out of my space, get out of my bubble. Yeah. When when he yells Uncle Nick, I'm like, oh dude, I'd slap that kid. I'd be like, don't ever say that again. <laughs> yeah. But uh I don't know. What what other notes do you guys have? Uh <laughs> there is the scene that they again do pretty much shot for shot where he cuts the bee in or the butterfly. Is it a bee or a butterfly in this one? I think it's a wasp. It's a bee. A wasp or bee, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, one of, one of the scenes they took straight out of Zatuichi, and then there's it cuts to the old couple that are watching, and she goes, "We need to get one of those." <laughs> hey, and I, my my wife looked at the old the old guy sitting at the table with the old lady, and she's like, "He looks like Johnny Knoxville in old man makeup." <laughs> <laughs> I would follow those two with a samurai sword going across the country. So, Mister Zinman or whatever his name. I is. would love yeah. to see that. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You get you guys got any more final thoughts on this thing, before, and then we can get to Zatoichi challenge. I don't think I have anything else for this one. I mean, again, like I said, I, I feel like you know people will probably Ooh, the, the meth is the meth is movie. the meth is purple or blue in this movie. So I think this is where uh, where Breaking Bad got it from. So yes, yeah, that they was come, the other thing that I that I was bro, like, oh, Troy what? doesn't know because he's never seen Breaking Bad, but Troy, yeah. I hear that show's good. If you you watched Breaking Bad, you would go, oh, this movie ripped Blind Fury off. (laughs) I believe it. Blind Fury is pretty influential in American, you know, cinema history. So, Uh, well, before we talk about Zatoichi Challenge from 1967, I I do want to kind of grade this thing. So, um, Josh, I'm going to start with you since you're our esteemed guest. We just got done having a little fun talking about the American remake of Zatoichi Challenge called Blind Fury. So the question goes to you, is Blind Fury a bomb? I believe in a sense of the movies of the time and the, this particular, my viewing of this movie, I'm going to say it's a bomb, but I don't think it's a bad movie. 
Okay. You know, if you're, if you're looking at the box office, if you're looking at, you know, my opinion of some of the performances and some of the issues I have with it, like I would, I would say it's a bomb, but I'm not going to say I don't recommend watching this movie. If you want to have a good time and watch a, a fun, you know, uh, a fun action movie that's got some good comedy in it and whatnot, and even some good fight sequences, according to Troy and Brad, give it a shot. But I, I would, I would err on the side of it's a bomb for me. Okay. Okay. Totally fair. Brad Zatuichi is is Zatuichi. I mean, Blind Fury. Fury is it a bomb? Absolutely not. Okay. I, I contrary to what you were saying, I I, I kind of love this movie. Um, it's just not. It's like a second tier for me, but it's still a high tier. So. It, so okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. Okay. Uh, I also am going to fall into the camp that it is definitely not a bomb. I I adore this film. Blind Fury to me, and I think I've I've told you this before, Brad. It it's the it it's a visual equivalent of a gourmet Twinkie. That's what Blind Fury is. It's pure junk food, but to me, it's top notch junk food. Like I, I you if this thing's on, I'm watching it. I I really have so much fun, and uh, it's it's so just you think a Twinkie is top notch junk food. A gourmet Twinkie is. I don't know if you've ever had a gourmet Twinkie. Josh, come um, out to the East Coast. Um, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get you into. I've never had a gourmet Twinkie. So I've never had a gourmet Twinkie either. Okay. And I'm coming out to the East Coast, so I want to have a gourmet Twinkie now. We'll we'll get you a burger cookie. Uh, those are fun too. That that's a Baltimore thing. Um, let's talk about Zatuichi Challenge from 1967. So real real quick. To give everybody just a little bit of uh, background, um, Zatoichi is a fictional character uh, featured in one of Japan's longest running series of films as well as television series. There was a time where it was the longest running series until I think James Bond eclipsed that. Both the the films and the TV series are set uh, during the late Edo period, 1830s and 1840s. And the character is a blind masseur and blade master who was created by novelist Ken Shimazoa. The um, so it, it originally was a minor character and it was developed for the screen by Dei Film and actor Shintaro Katsu who created the screen version. Now Shintaro is the brother of the actor in the Lone Wolf and Cub films. Okay. Just yep. FYI. Josh, have you seen Lone Wolf and Cub? I have not. Okay. After Zatuichi, that's your next assignment. You're going to love those two. Okay, Josh, after you finish all the James Bonds, then (laughs) you move over to... I have a lot of work to do because I'm finishing James Bond. I think Nathan and I may be doing Star Trek after that. And then I've got Zatuichi. I'm just adding to the list. Yeah. So you've got your next, you've got your podcast planned out for the next 10 years. Yeah. So don't worry. <laughs> and I can't recommend the criterion set for, for Zatoichi yes. when it, when criterion has their sale or Barnes and Noble's go grab that. But there's a total of 26 films. They were made from 1962 to 1989. And from 1974 to 1979, there was a television series um, starring Katsu and some of the actors that were in the films and uh, they they had 100 episodes. So episode 99 and 100 were a two-part finale. Um, and then the, the television show was canceled. And then in 2003, um, Takashi Kitano directed a Zatoichi film, which is really good as well. I, I really like that version. But, I mean, nothing will beat the original 26. And, and I'm going to go on record and say that within those 26 original films, I can't think of a bad one. I... Mm. They're all 
pretty good and some are just pretty damn excellent. So, um, I, I just, it's one of the very few film series that I will run through and I, I thoroughly enjoy all of them. It's funny how similar these movies are even down to the runtime. Yeah. They're both 86 minutes long. Yeah. And you'll, you'll get some like Zatuichi challenged the, the 17th one, I think is kind of close to the eighth one, which is called Zatuichi fight. Zatuichi. Uh, it, it's the one where he um, ends up uh, caring for a baby and her mother. Fight Zatuichi fight. Is, fight Zatuichi yeah, fight. Right. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. So um, it, it <laughs> that one has a little bit of a similarity to the 17th one. So there are, uh, there are a lot of these films that kind of overlap in story. But you will get um, Zatuichi versus the one in, one-armed swordsman, Jimmy Wang Yu. So you'll... Um, the, you'll see a lot of mythical Japanese, even Chinese film characters show up in this series too, series too, which is really cool. Isn't there a Zatuichi versus Yojimbo? Yes. That, yep. okay. Meets, meets Yojimbo. Me, meets yep. Yojimbo. Meets yep. Yep. So, uh, I, I cannot, like I said, and that criterion set has so many fantastic I, extra features and documentaries. It's, it's crazy. I think that, I think that uh, criterion set is out of print now. Ooh, like, I don't think you can like, cause I, cause I've checked the past couple of criterion sales and nobody has it in stock. I think it's out of print now. Ooh. Uh-oh. Yeah. We're sitting on a gold mine, Troy. <laughs> I got two of them. Holy shit. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> yeah. I really like Zatuichi. Anyways. To the um, moon. Well, I had to make sure that, you know, uh, Cameron and Angel don't fight over it when I pass. So, um, well, I'm going to start with you, Josh. This this blows my mind because you're you're in the circle of of the people that I know that have seen so many films and and your taste kind of crosses so many genres. Um, given how long this film series has been out there, I kind of thought you at least had run across, if anything, the Takashi Kitano um, version. But I'm I'm curious, what was your first experience with the with your kind of first Zatoichi film? Uh, it was Zatoichi Challenged. That's the only one I've seen at this point. Okay. And, uh, and it's it's because you guys brought it up again. I, I did not know that Blind Fury was a remake, a direct remake of Zakuichi Challenge, and I, I honestly didn't know if I was going to have access to it, so I wasn't sure I was going to be able to watch it and talk about it. But I, I came across it, I watched it, and is it on like, Criterion Channel? It is on Criterion Channel. That's how okay. I was able to watch it. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you say remake, like this is a. Blind Fury is almost a shot for shot remake of, yes. of Zakuichi. And I, I, you know, I maybe because I know those are classic and whatnot. I don't know. It's something about the Zatuichi one. I, I, I love, I loved that movie. Like I was, I was like, I, I, I think this is obviously far superior to Blind Fury and the fight sequences in it are a lot more exciting for me. Um, the biggest plus for this movie for me is the kid. The kid is still just as annoying as the kid in blind fury, but he works for the part in Zatoichi. And I, I love the fact that he's annoying and that he is being a pain in the ass to Zatoichi the entire time. And the dynamic between the two of them in that movie works far better than Rucker Hauer and uh, Brandon call. Uh, I, I agree with you. Um, now I think they're two different films. I think they're a remake of it, but we've already talked about this tonally. Yeah. 
the one we're talking about now is a is a Ronin Samurai film. Blind Fury is a is a Jackie Chan um, Satoichi hybrid, right? Mm-hmm. But there is this. I, I agree with you hundred percent. There's a sequence in this film, and I think this is what Blind Fury is missing. It's it's missing this sequence. There's this amazing scene where the kid is drawing a picture of his mom in the sand to tr- try and describe what she looks like, and Zatuichi is feeling it as they go. Mm-hmm. I think it's a fantastic bonding moment between these two characters, and it demonstrates why that kid is um, a little asshole, right? He is really missing his mom, and he's sort of taking his anger out um, right. on the world as a result of it because he can't comprehend it. Um, and I think Zatoichi knows that, but that sequence on the beach, it kind of solidifies their bond and where they end at the end of the film. I believe it because of that beach sequence. Yeah. Yeah, That was the comment I was about to make is where at the end of blind fury, as Brad said, like the fact, I don't buy that. He's upset that that kid, that he has to leave that kid. Like I buy it in Zatoichi. Like I, they have formed a bond throughout this movie. They've been through a lot together. And when he leaves, it is, it is a sad moment. Troy, the most beautiful shot of this movie is at the very end. The The snow is falling down. Oh, okay. the, the, oh, that James, showdown so is good. so good. It's so good. Every time I watch this movie, I, I it's one of those scenes where I just want to be like, Natalie, come, come watch this. Book. Like, just watch this part. Just watch this part. Look how awesome this looks. It's one of those where you call people into the room to show them how beautiful it looks. It is a work of art. It, and the story, the, the story beat between Zatoichi and the samurai in this is far better than, than the story they set up in blind fury. And yeah. I love the fact that you've got all this stuff happening and uh, Zatoichi and the samurai crossing paths as you go through this movie. And then at the end, it's like, Oh, you're my big bad that I've got to face. And you know, the, the way that ends and the way he just kind of backs away, like, it it all works on so many levels for me. Like I enjoyed this movie so much more than Blind Fury. So would you go and watch? Would you like make it a priority to try to watch the other ones? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I you know, that's the thing. Like I I didn't watch all of the old samurai stuff when I was a kid, and um and for a long long time I had trouble watching old black and white movies because you know. I grew up watching color movies and that's yeah, just what yeah, I'm accustomed yeah. to, but I have really started to go back and started to go back and, and, and like appreciate all of the old cinema. To be, to be fair, high definition has been probably the best for black and white stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. A 4k black and white. It looks gorgeous, man. Mm-hmm. Right. Gorgeous. And, and just, you know, I think as a kid, some of those older black and white movies move pretty slow. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it was hard for me to get invested in them. Whereas an adult, I'm watching something like Blind Blind Fury, and I'm a little like taken aback on that one because it's being it's being comedic and it's it's hitting all the, it's it's doing the, the 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 comedic beats with the action sequences and whatnot. Whereas now I'm watching the older classics as an adult and I'm appreciating what they're doing in those movies. Whereas as a kid, I would have been a whole lot more entertained by Blind Fury than Satoichi. Now it's completely the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you recognize like good good filmmaking when you're right. a little bit more of an adult too. Um, they're not even in the same class when it comes to that stuff. Well, plus um, even even you know being a fan of film and knowing like the movies that I love were inspired by all of these movies. We've talked about uh, Tarantino and how Lady Snowblood was an inspiration mm-hmm. for Kill Bill, and 
I had never watched that going back and watching it now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, yes, exactly. So yeah. like I, I'm also coming at it as appreciating the fact of like how those movies inspired my favorite films now too. So yeah. And just for yeah. clarification. So Zatoichi, like the first film in 1962, it is black and white. Um, mm-hmm. This one, which is the 17th. So five years, 17 films. Think about that for a minute. Um, this one is in color. It actually has a little musical sequence in it too. Uh, which when they're traveling, right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, kind of, kind of reminds you of like an Indian film almost, but, uh, it, it looks gorgeous. Like it is, it is a, a gorgeous looking full color film from the sixties. I think the last 20 minutes of this film are some of the best 20 minutes you're going to see in an action, uh, film. I mean, holy cow, Zatoichi like takes on a hundred guys at the end. And it is brutal. It's exhausting. You you feel like what he's going through. He is stumbling in certain aspects of it. The choreography is fantastic. The, the cinematography is great. The editing is crisp, but yet it knows when to pause and let the action sort of unfold. And you've already said it, Brad. I mean, when the snow hits, when he fights the samurai, it looks like something out of um, just a, a painting. And then as the samurai is leaving, you get this trail of blood in the snow. I mean, it's, it's picture perfect. It's, it's so good. And, and Josh, I don't agree with this. I like challenged a lot, but critically challenge is considered like kind of one of the, the lesser of the films. I don't agree with it, but that was one of the hardest parts about like watching this to talk about it with you guys is knowing that I'm coming into, you know, a 26 movie run (laughs) and the right smack dab (laughs) in the middle, basically. So, but you know, it was easy for me to get right into it. Like I, yeah. like, like you were saying, Troy, like they weren't concerned with setting up any kind of a, a, a origin for him. Like I, I could, I can gather what I needed. He's a blind swordsman and he's going to have an adventure. Like that's all I really needed out of that. And, uh, but I, yeah, like I being like a completist, like I am, I absolutely would love to watch every single one of these at this point, just because that one was so good. And that's, that's the only only downside to it for me was like, Oh, I had to start in the middle to to be able to go back to the beginning. You know, I I would say, I agree with Brad. If you, if you really love this one, you're going to love this series. I I mean, I stand by that statement. Um, It amazes me that at a 26 films, I really like all of them. And there are a few that I just love. I mean, the the one I just talked about, um, which is the eighth one with the baby. That's one of my top three. I I love that one. I, I think it's, it's even better than this one. And the emotional beats in there are really good as well as the choreography and everything else about the story. Um, well, that's been one of the fun things about going back and watching the bond movies uh, for my, my buddy and I, Nathan are doing a, a bond retrospective show right now called for new eyes only. And I have never seen any of the bond movies, the old ones anyway. And part of why I like doing that as well is to see how, how the, how the movies change over that course of ho- however many movies it is. Mm-hmm. And what's good and what's bad about them, where I'm sure I'm going to get into some pretty bad James Bond stuff. That's kind of the same thing I would do going back and watching the Zakuichi movies is how good is this one compared to this one? The natural stuff you do when you're watching a film series. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can give me 26 movies and I enjoy every single one of them, that's a feat for me. And if, if that's what that series is going to do, I'm pumped. To watch it. Yeah, I, I think and I'll ask you this, Brad, because I always get this question like lone wolf will cut lone wolf or lone wolf and cub versus Zatuichi. 
I always pick Zatoichi. I I appreciate Lone Wolf and Cub, but I think the the filmmaking and the acting and everything else in Zatoichi is miles better than Lone Wolf and Cub. I I, I would tend to agree with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to if you're going to do one, I would say Zatoichi for sure. Yeah. It's longer, but I, I think it's well worth it in terms of that series. But, uh, I mean, the, the other thing I'll say about Zatoichi Challenged is, is like with the kids, with with him and the and the kids stuff throughout this. Like, I really love the scene where they're at the market or whatever it is, and he gets the sandals, and you think it's for him, and he puts them on the on the boy as they're walking away, and it shows his, and they're all tore up, and he's having trouble walking. Like, you don't get that in Blind Fury, in my opinion. Um, I never feel like the relationship between them and Blind Fury is anything that I really care about, honestly. Like even the end just sort of doesn't work for me on the fact that, like Brad said, I wouldn't be sad to leave this kid behind. He's a little prick, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I, I totally buy it in this, and it's. I think. I think you know that's why I made the comment I made on Twitter. It wasn't a knock at Blind Fury, but if you were going to rewatch Blind Fury and you hadn't seen Zatoichi Challenged, I'd say watch Zatoichi first. <laughs> Yeah, my response is watch both. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's um, hard. It's, I, I, I always, so I knew we were doing, obviously I knew we were doing Blind Fury. It's like, I have to watch Blind Fury first because it's it's hard to go from Zatsuichi Challenge to Blind Fury because you, A, see all the similarities, and B, it's like, I like the tone of Zatsuichi much better. Blind Fury is a fun movie, but if I had a choice, I'm watching Zatsuichi Nine times out of ten, yeah. But I, I, I was agree. I was surprised at how much um, Blind Fury like lifts right out of this movie. Oh, you yeah. know the uh, the 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 kid making fun of Zatoichi getting hurt, and then the kid gets hurt, and they're laughing at each other and picking on each other. Mm-hmm. That's in Blind Fury. The gambling aspect, yeah. Uh, the bee getting cut in half. Uh, even so much as like when he's listening for the bee and his ears moving, they did the same thing with Rutger Hauer and and Blind Fury. So like completely lifted. Even the even the rock candy scene. It's yeah. like cutting off the eyebrows. Cut, yeah, cutting off the <laughs> eyebrows. And they even do the that that burrito scene is a little bit different, but they still have kind of the same scenario with with the guys coming up and he's making fun of them, and then he has to kind of fight him and stuff. So yeah, it's yeah. it's a lot. It's like. Again, the the stuff they added on for Blind Fury is the worst part. The stuff they stayed pretty true to Satoichi Challenged is the best part, and it's because it's was they, good. They <laughs> end in the exact same way too. The kid standing on a bridge, Zatoichi's hiding underneath it, and then Zatoichi's running, you know, just walking off into the sunset. So um, it it is a carbon copy, another adventure. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So was Rugger Hauer's character was Nick was Nick lying to the kid when he told him that his tear ducts didn't work anymore, or, or are we supposed to believe that the relationship between he and the kid made his tear ducts work again? Yes. Yeah, I think it's that last part that their relationship yeah. was so powerful yes, it created it was tear a ducts. Yeah, yeah, it's a miracle. Okay. Um, Alrighty. I believe it. So we can all agree. It was a I mean, goddamn miracle, and I want you to acknowledge it. <laughs> Okay, uh, it was a miracle. Can we move on now? Yeah. <laughs> so I it, well played, Josh. Well played. If uh, if anybody is interested, um, Criterion Channel apparently has it. Um, I I do know that before the Criterion set, 
there were these Atuichi films um, sold on an individual basis. And the cool thing about that release, and I can't remember the company you put it out, they actually recreated a lot of the Zatuichi posters in them. So you get like these 11, 17 posters with the DVD. I have that set too. They're really cool. Um, but yeah, just uh, if you if you liked Blind Fury, definitely go and check this one out. If you haven't seen either of them, I would 100% agree with Brad. Watch Blind Fury first and then go back and watch this one, and I guarantee you'll be a Zatoichi addict. It, it's so good. Josh, Zatoichi box set is currently on Amazon, the time of recording, for $135. You need to buy yeah, that. But I, yeah, but I want the half-price Criterion Josh, sale price, you, man. You need to buy that. <laughs> you, you need to buy that like right now. I may just go buy it and get a third copy. <laughs> Troy, if you don't, you don't need to convince me to buy more movies. Troy, <laughs> my wife, I, my wife would probably kill me. <laughs> I, I think we're all in that boat. Josh. We've all got an addiction problem. Um, hey, Brad, we got some email. Do you want to read it or do you want me to read it? Oh, I don't have my phone, so you have to read it. I have to read it? Okay, I'm going to read the email. And uh, Josh, we, we kind of want you to play along with this too. So uh -oh. we got a question, and I thought this was a great question, so I wanted to make sure we shared it um, today. It is from our good friend, Ben. Ben, we love you. Thanks for writing in. He uh, sent us a subject, and it said, underrated superhero movie. Uh, hey, Bombers. Well, I have to get this out of the way. I love Hellboy 2004, Golden Army, and 2019. Sorry, Troy. It is my most underrated superhero film. Uh, I feel like we should stop here, and we should talk about the warning of recreational drug use. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Hey, Ben, I, I'm excited you love that film. That Yeah. I didn't have the same reaction to it, but... <laughs> Okay. To each his own, to I guess. To each his own. Um, he asks a question. What is your most underrated superhero movie? So that that's from our good friend, Ben. Um, Brad, I'm going to start with you this time. Yeah. Uh, I have a few that I, this off the top of my head. First one that came to mind was Batman, the Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, good pick. Yeah. At one point in time, you could. I would say that that was my favorite Batman movie. It's not anymore, but I still think it is a fantastic movie. And there was a run for about six months where my son was obsessed with that movie. And I watched it probably once every other day. <laughs> and God, that movie is so good. Um, my The next one that came to mind is probably either 1A or 1B on my Zack Snyder list. It is The Watchmen. Uh, um, director's I think cut, right? The ultimate cut. I okay, like the yeah. the stuff with the pirates um, as well, and I I I think they made a great choice with that to get away from the squid, the giant squid stuff. Yes. Um, and um, yeah, I, I really like that. And another one that comes to mind is the Tom Hardly. <laughs> Let's see what I did there. Uh, the uh, Morgan Marshall Green, Logan Marshall Green film uh, upgrade. I think that's a superhero movie if you want to kind of stretch it that way. Um, if you haven't seen that movie, that movie is badass. Uh, we'll we'll be briefly talking about that movie on an upcoming episode of ours, and that movie is not talked about enough. That movie yeah. is a great modern sci-fi horror 
action thriller. Like that movie is fucking awesome. I, yeah. I kind of agree with Brad. If you if you think about like a, some of the traditional superhero or um, comic book hero origins, I think Upgrade kind of falls into that. Yep. Yeah. And then and then lastly is a is a movie that Josh did on his podcast, The Crow. I think that has kind of moved into the underrated category now because really we've had so it's just like we've had all these huge like it is like the scale of it is not Avengers Endgame right it's yeah. it's like not even on that scale anymore and I think because we've had all these Mar- the Marvel movies and Batman movies and DC movies it, it I think people forget about it and it's now kind of gone to the underrated side um, obviously not for our generation I don't think but I think generation generationally it's probably now kind of forgotten and i think that's a damn shame because it is man it's so good so good I, I my like favorite it. night of the year devil's <laughs> night <laughs> all right josh uh, you got a couple picks for for most underrated superhero films I did mention The Crow, and if you want to listen to our episode, you can go back and check that out on the VHS Files podcast, The Crow episode. Uh, we love that movie, and uh, I, I kind of I see what Brad's saying. I don't know if it's underrated, but I do feel like it's getting lost in the shuffle of all mm-hmm. the super, superhero stuff at this point. Um, I am typically not a DC fan, and I thought the new Suicide Squad movie was awesome. Yes. And no arguments of, here. No arguments here. And uh, you know, maybe people don't think it's underrated. I don't know. Like, I, I think it was received pretty well, but like compared to it anything, did technically bomb. Yeah, so. it's like, a bomb. Compared to anything I've seen from DC, that was the most fun I have had with one of their movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I actually, I, I really kind of like Punisher Warzone. Have you guys seen that? Yes. Oh yeah, hey. love it, love it. That movie is fucking brutal. It's like it's everything I want in a Punisher movie. Yes. And a lot of people think it's terrible, and I'm like, I think it's better than the, what they did with John or with the, the fucking the new Punisher, Bernthal. John yeah, Bernthal. John Bernthal. Like, I just think that one knows how to do the the violence, the camp, and all of that really well. And I I think that movie is is so much better than people give it credit for. There's a lot of guys driving around with truck nuts that are really disappointed that that Punisher sticker they have is now owned by Disney and they are so <laughs> conflicted right now. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I did have a question is, is Robocop a superhero? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I think it falls under that. I, I think the superhero genre, um, it definitely can be stretched into films like that. Okay. Well, I mean, RoboCop is by no means an underrated movie, but I I just had the question: Is RoboCop a superhero? So, I mean, yeah. if Upgrade is a superhero movie, then RoboCop would definitely be. Yeah. I also think the newer Dread movie is is really good. Yes. That was that was on my list as well. We talked but about we that one better. early uh, yeah. in in our film series when Brett was on. Right? Did he come mm-hmm. on for that yep. one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. So those would be mine. Okay. Uh, I specifically tried to look at this and just, um, say, all right, Ben, since you love Hellboy 2019, uh, here are the superhero movies that bombed that I would watch over Hellboy 2019. And I think are super (laughs) underrated. Um, and I kind of went through and, and tried to pick something out of, um, independent comics, Marvel, DC, et cetera. So Pacific comics launched the rocketeer. 
I think that is the most underrated superhero film. I am not going to say any more about that because we're going to get to that one this summer. We're, we're going to talk about the Rocketeer. Uh, Josh, uh, you, but before you move on too far, Troy, yeah, I, 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 I've, I've never, never seen the Rocketeer. Oh my God, Josh. <laughs> All right. Skip the Zatoichi films and go right to Rocketeer. Okay. It's on Disney plus. It's on I Disney plus. I think my goal with coming on you guys show is to see how much I can like contribute to Troy having a heart attack. <laughs> I got heart palpitations right now. Um, all right. But his his birthday's four <sighs> weeks. Just let him get to the big five zero. Yeah. Um, moving on from that from that. <laughs> whoa. Okay. Uh, you talked about Punisher War Zone. I would say all of the Punisher films from Marvel are fantastic. The Dolph Lundgren, the uh, Thomas Jane, um, Punisher War Zone. I, I love them all. That um, Thomas Jane one is pure garbage. I'm sorry. Your opinion of that Thomas Jane one is pure garbage. <laughs> I love that one. Uh, what I love, and I, I'm going to digress for a minute. One of my John Travolta. You love John Travolta as a villain. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. What I love about that sequence is the uh, fight sequence against the Russian. It's clearly, I mean, almost frame from frame from the comic series um, that they did at that time. It's fantastic. Uh, another one. So that, that's from the Marvel universe, right? Um, another one from the DC that I absolutely love. Cause I think it's a ton of fun. It bombed. And I think it's 10 times better than Hellboy 2019. I also think it's super underrated is the return of swamp thing from 1989. Um, I like the first swamp thing, uh, Wes Craven did. I think this one is a little bit more fun with the creatures and everything. Troy, Troy. you Uh-oh, probably never saw. I, I, I haven't seen any of the swamp thing movies. Oh, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Christmas, Josh. So, okay. Um, take away my horror card, considering Wes Craven directed the first one, and I haven't seen it. You know. Yeah, you, you, we, we gotta talk, man. Um, <laughs> Don't but, swallow your tongue, Troy. Okay, the last one I'm gonna mention, and it's also gonna come up uh, maybe this year. It's on the roadmap. Uh, it's from Flaming Carrot Comics. It's 1999's Mystery Men. I love this one. My wife actually thinks this is one of the worst movies ever made, which might make me love it more. I don't know. Um, cause she <laughs> makes me endure grease too in the pest. But, uh, yeah, mystery men I think is, is super underrated and people forget about that one. Um, and I'm glad that overseas there's, there's been a really good, um, uh, Blu-ray release of it. Now superhero movies that aren't based on existing properties, but are superhero movies that are super underrated. I got two and they both come from directors who are now like big budget DC and Marvel directors. So the first one is Sam Raimi's dark man from 1990. That 100% is, that is Sam Raimi saying I couldn't get rights to a superhero film. So I made my own. He couldn't do Batman. So he did that. Yeah. Yeah, He was going after the shadow and Batman and he couldn't get the rights to it. So he created dark man and And Rorschach. Yeah, and there's there's uh, there's actually a really good comic series that Marvel released on Darkman that's really good. You should seek out. And then the other one I'm going to point out um, is James Gunn's Super from 2010 with uh, Ooh, Rain yes. Wilson. Rain Wilson, yeah. So uh, if if you you know everybody loves Sam Raimi and James Gunn for what they're doing with superhero films today, go back and watch those two if you haven't seen it. And those are super underrated. Like if you want to talk about something that's gotten buried those two films have gotten buried because of what Sam Raimi and James Gunn have done both for Marvel and DC, you know, today. 
Um, Has anyone seen Defendor? Yes, it's not bad. Woody That's Harrelson the Woody Harrelson one. Okay. Woody Harrelson. I think I turned it on one time. I don't know if I finished it. Super's better, but Defender's not bad. Okay. I actually, I actually think the first Kick-Ass movie is really good. Yes, I like. Yeah, I like it both. I haven't um, seen the second one. I haven't seen the second, second one. Has a batshit crazy Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey is he in both of them or just the, the second? He's just in the second one. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's good. But yeah, I what it's it's crazy to me to think that. Um, and I, I mentioned this. I think at some point when we were talking about Hellboy, at at some point superhero films just they didn't perform well at all. Um, right. We're going to spend the entire month of June talking about some examples. And um, what I think is crazy now is superhero films are pretty much what's keeping the theaters alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, I don't know if that's good or bad as, as a, I don't know, as a comic book collector, I love it. But as a film goer, I kind of think it's depressing. Um, yeah, I, I can see, I can see the plus and negatives. Um, however, this year is starting to firm up very well for, maybe not independent movies, but movies that are not based on current properties. Um, I've seen some killer movies this year so far. And um, I, so I think, I think it's, it's bright. I think COVID really had a, had a lot to do with, with us not getting a good amount of movies that aren't based on that kind of property. Um, but nobody's going to them. Nobody's going to them. like two right. films that I really enjoyed this year that if you were to ask me like, what's going to be in your top five, I would say the new Michelle Yeoh film, um, everything, everywhere, all at once is fantastic. Oh my God, dude. Like, don't, yeah. if you don't want me to talk about that movie, you shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's, I mean, it's doing well where it's yeah. performing, but it's going to end up being a bomb. And then the other one that I just saw, which was the unbearable weight of massive talent is fantastic. I it's going to, it's going to bomb as well. Um, nobody's yeah. going to it. Um, so yeah. And, and, and North fans, Northman's not doing great either. Yeah, that, right. that'll end up being film. a bomb. So everything everywhere all at once. Like I walked out of that movie thinking it's one of my favorite movies of all time. That movie impressed me to the highest degree. And I felt like it was drawing inspiration from all the stuff I loved as a kid with throwing in some of the new stuff, the multiverse stuff that you're getting in superhero films now. Like I was getting nodes of like big trouble in little China in certain aspects of it. Like it was just that movie was checking all the boxes for me. And if people aren't seeing that movie, I, I cannot stress enough. It's weird. It's bizarre. It's an a 24 movie, but it has got some of the best action sequences I've seen in years. And it has some of the most heart I've seen in a movie in years. Like go see that movie. I did something I've never, I will say never done, but, I specifically did this. There's no chance I was going to be able to see that movie, but I wanted to be like, I want more movies to be made like this. I bought a ticket and I was like, there's no way I'm going. I have kids and I, my wife is gone. I can't see this, but I want to support these films. So I was like, I'm just going to buy a ticket. And I, yeah. cause I was like, I want more movies like this. I want adults movies, right? Mm-hmm. I, I want stuff like that. So it, it is. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious to watch it again. I am not in love with it as much as everybody else. Like I've talked to so many people like you, Josh, uh, you're not the only one that I've heard that that could be like my favorite movie of all time or, or in the top 10 discussion. I didn't walk away with that impression. I really liked it. I got a few problems with it, um, which 
<laughs> when when I saw that, I was kind of conflicted because I've, I've been tracking that one, and it's like this one could be on the show because it's not going to make its money back um, out of its theatrical run. So by our whatever you know grading system, bylaws or whatever, we could definitely pick that one. Um, but at the same time, I was kind of depressed because that's the type of film that I think more people would like if they give it a chance. I do think it's got a couple of things going against it. One of those being a runtime, like runtimes of two and a half hours and it's not a superhero film. I don't think people um, have the. Well, it kind of is, though. I mean, that's from an advertising perspective. It's it's not. I, I mean, I think it goes back to this thing that I read recently where. Um, well, <laughs> I read it, and what's funny is the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema talked about it this week. Um, Sammy went off on a little tirade where he was talking about Netflix and some of these streaming services are taking a film that's two hours long and splitting it up into one-hour episodes and calling it a mini-series. Right. Um, and that's happening. They did happening. that for Hateful Eight. They did that with Hateful They're Eight. They're doing they that a lot with part up. Yeah. And, and it's because from a marketing and research perspective, they're basically saying, well, people won't sit for a two hour film, but they'll binge watch eight hours if you split it up into an hour or something of that nature. Right. And um, uh, Sammy and Will have a great discussion on it this week. And I, I agree with Sammy 100 percent. It's kind of annoying, but that's the thing. That's the society we're kind of living in from a theater going experience. Mm-hmm. American audiences at two and a half hour runtime. I don't think un- unless it's a property or something that they're or a franchise that they're accustomed to, they're not going to go do it for these independent films on their own. I, I think that runtime kills it. I understand what you're saying. And, and that's Dude, what the Batman was two hours and 55 minutes it based on a property where yeah, they, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All, all of the two and a half, three hour films that are doing well, it's usually because now that's not for every property. I think that, that whatever Harry Potter or fantastic beast ones isn't doing great to expectations, but well, they, um, they, they have, they have a lot of extra things working against them in that regard. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, I, like I said that, um, I, I love Michelle Yeoh. She's one of my favorite actors of all time. I want to, and, and there's, uh, there's guys in there from the, uh, um, the martial arts club who do these online things. They're, they're in that film. They're fantastic. I want that film to just be everything and, and succeed and make all the monies all at once, all at once. But <laughs> I, I don't think that's possible given that American audiences for a new creative original story are not going to sit for two and a half hours. Now take that sucker and split it up into like three or four television episodes and people will be eating that thing up. I think that movie will be a cult classic. No doubt. I, I it'll agree. Be, it'll it, be big trouble. Little China. Cause yeah. how do you market that movie? It's right. impossible. I agree. It, it, you're absolutely right. It'll be the next big drum in Little China. But yeah, head, head on over to Gentleman's Guide because they they talk about this topic as well in terms of um, when they go through their what they've watched this week, and um, it's it's super interesting um, because I, I agree with their sentiment and their comments 100 percent that um, that there's a new strategy with content now, and if you can split it up and and put it on a streaming service, I think they're seeing more success versus. Hey, go watch this really interesting story for two and a half hours. Um, yeah. Well, Brad, if anybody wants to send us a question or share their thoughts on the films that we're talking about this week, how do they get a hold of us? Yeah, that's not a bomb pod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter for now, uh, Instagram and, and Facebook. And uh, yeah, you can reach us up there. Yeah, we're not we're not going anywhere. We've, we've got to keep our social medias, right? Even though we don't yeah. use them very often. 
Um, Josh, what's going on with your show over there? You got a lot of stuff. You've been releasing some really interesting content lately. Uh, we've, uh, we've kind of just been going off the cuff a lot and, uh, we've got some movies coming up that, uh, we've got some fun episodes, uh, legend of Billie Jean coming up, uh, old seventies horror, uh, um, uh, environmental horror squirm. We're going to be doing pretty soon. Holy shit. uh, (laughs) I haven't thought about squirming forever. Uh, our next episode that will be coming out, uh, next week will be our top four guns in movies which caused some debate between Troy and I over the text messages. But uh, I, I think that's going to be a really fun episode. I think people are really going to enjoy it. And uh, you can see that you can see that podcast episode on YouTube, on our YouTube channel at VHS files podcast. And uh, you can listen to it wherever you get your podcast and you can reach us on all the social media at VHS files podcast. It's a great show guys. You guys drop on Mondays now, right? We have. We used to drop on Fridays, but that was a little hard for my schedule. So we are now Mondays are when our shows are coming out. Yeah. And, and you said it. So you can listen to the show through all of the podcast feeds. You've got a YouTube channel. There's a lot of great videos that you've been putting up in terms of unboxing and um, recording of the show, et cetera. So they can see your lovely face out there. Um, mm-hmm. But it's 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 fantastic content. I love what you guys are doing. I love the fact that you guys are sort of all over the place in terms of um, genres and films and decades. Uh, it, it's, and I mean, it's, it, I can't say this enough. It's like walking through the video store with your best friends and just talking about films that that is your show in a nutshell. It's so much fun to listen to. Not many podcasts have done the stuff. So there you go. (laughs) We like to, we like to, to go for the, the weird ones. Obviously we're talking about squirm. Uh, we talked about frogs in a recent episode as well. So we're trying to go back and get some of those bottom of the barrel movies and talk about those a little bit. And they've been fun conversations. (laughs) I might not have enjoyed watching the movies, but I absolutely have enjoyed talking talking about them on our show. So yeah, I, I appreciate you guys having me on and letting me put our, our information out there for everybody. No, it's fantastic. But uh, it's funny. You, you talked about frogs. I love that episode, but that is the type of movie that I would have rented with my friends on a Saturday night to take it back. And our experience would have been the same thing. And we would have been making fun of it and talking about it. Um, the way that you guys did. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're a bunch of different people, different personalities, different tastes in, in movies. So, uh, we, we try to pick something that would, you know, would be from a little bit from everybody's wheelhouse. So, I mean, I love horror. My buddy Jason, who's on the show with us, loves horror more than I do. So he's always looking for the horror stuff. I'm looking for Does anything. Does he really love horror? Cause sometimes, you know, what we <laughs> love the most is what we're the most critical on, but Jason Boy. likes what Jason likes. Let me yes. just put it that way. <laughs> He's got a very specific taste on on what's going to make him happy. And and you know, in in our show, Eric is kind of the one that's sort of like me on your show. Like he's the one who hasn't seen a lot of the movies that we're talking about and referencing. So it's kind of a learning experience for Eric as we go along. So it's been fun. We're coming up on two years. Uh, we'll be hitting our hundredth episode towards the end of this year. So yeah. We've been having a ton of fun, and now that we've got the YouTube channel and we're doing the videos, it's a little more work, but it's a whole lot more fun. So if you haven't checked out our YouTube videos, please, please, please head over to the VHS Files Podcast YouTube channel. Check it out. Leave us a like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Awesome. Well, that's a good segue. So we actually are hitting our 100th episode, um, and Brad, we have not missed a week. It's been a hundred, every I, I Every week we've released something, and in some weeks we've done two or three episodes, yeah. even when we were doing um, a couple of interviews and 
it, it's been a crazy, but formally the hundredth episode is next week. You and I kind of put our head together and we thought it, it's going to be a little bit of a different show um, because we're thinking we're, we're getting into triple digits. So we should do something unique with that. Right. Yeah. So we're doing triple digits. So why don't do a triple movie? Yeah. Um, we're gonna- so we're, we're doing <laughs> 1951's The Thing from Another World, 1982's The Thing, and 2011's The Thing. Yeah. Two of those three movies are epic bombs. Um, one of them is an epic classic sci-fi film. Uh, you can do a little research and find out which one uh, is which. But yeah, I, I can't think of another film franchise that has that type of pedigree or caliber. Uh, and we had always wanted to talk about um, John Carpenter's The Thing. And we planned it for the 100th episode. And we're like, you know what, let's let's just do all of them. Uh, and see what we think about it. So we're gonna we're gonna try and watch all three of those films um, in the same week, and then come back together and talk about it. And as Brad has said over the last couple of shows, uh, it's our hundredth episode. If you're listening to this now and you get time to send us some feedback, we would love to hear what were your favorite shows. Um, you know, one through ninety nine, your favorite moments. What films do you want to see in the next 100 episodes? We would love to hear that. And any and all feedback um, about the show, uh, we, we just kind of want to be a, a little bit of a celebration of you guys too. So um, people like Ben, who have sent in a ton of different emails and questions, thank you so much. We hope to get a lot of them uh, next week from all of you. And um, I, I don't know, Brad, it, it, it should be fun. Like I said, I think we're going to throw the format out the window and just wing it a little bit. Well, I'm not going to send in an email or anything, but I'll go ahead and put put my two cents out here while I'm on the show. Um, I really enjoy listening to you guys' show. I think you guys have an excellent concept with the bomb, the movie bombs and whatnot. And some of the episodes I've listened to with you guys have really kind of reshaped the way I've thought about movies. Uh, and you're talking about, you know, what were some of your favorite episodes? Like, I loved you guys' Showgirls episode. And I think you had was it Jose that was on that yep. one? That yep. was an eye opener. I if you had yep. if you had told me at the beginning, would we ever talk about showgirls? I'd be like, no, never. <laughs> <laughs> and would I like it? Oh, and, and would, would, I, like I, would I go, wow, that was yeah. kind of an impressive film. Yeah. I think Jose being on that episode helped a lot. He had a lot of background. Obviously, he's a fan of that movie. And I I listened to that entire episode just kind of in awe of how much he knew about it and how much you guys were were talking about what's going on in that movie and how people probably perceived it the wrong way. And it really made me want to watch Showgirls. And I think if you have a podcast that makes somebody want to watch Showgirls, <laughs> I think you're doing something pretty good. So big on you guys. Congratulations on 100 episodes. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, Josh. No, it was... Uh... That we'll, we'll we'll probably talk in detail about some of our favorite moments, but I'm I'm pretty excited, and uh, we just want to thank everybody for kind of getting us there. And I'm I'm kind of excited also of what we got planned for the summer. Um, Brad and I kind of have uh, a show schedule sort of planned out through August, and we're starting to put stuff together for October, <laughs> November, just because we've had so many people send in film requests and go. I, you guys need to talk about this film and then we'll do a little research and we're like, Oh my gosh, we totally forgot about that. And some of the requests we've gotten, we're like, no, 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 that wasn't a bomb. And you go back and look at it and we're like, it, it most certainly was a bomb. So 
I'm um, still waiting for the invite for the girl with the dragon tattoo. We're, we're going to do it, Josh. We're getting there. We, we got to get death to Smoochie so Nathan gets off our back. Um, yeah. We're getting no, hate he wants, mail. He wants to be on the, in the Mystery Men episode. He loves that movie. He actually texted me and he was like, hey, can you uh, can you talk to Troy and, and Brad and see if uh, they might be doing Mystery Men? I'd love to do that episode. Oh, we're doing Mystery Men. We are doing. Um, All right. We'll reach out to Nathan and ask him. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know he loves that movie, and I think he's he would have a, a blast talking with you guys about it. That, that would be awesome. No, it's coming. It's coming on uh actually probably this year. So uh what else, Brad? Is that is that it? Actually, I wanted to bring up one more thing. Um in the I will have this linked in the show notes, but our buddy Will from the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, his mother passed away a few years ago from stage four cancer. Every year he does a GoFundMe to provide for um, I think it's like the women's shelter in, in uh, where he lives in Canada. And uh, yeah, it, I'll have the link in the show notes. If you can, and you want to donate uh, that link, that GoFundMe link will be in our show notes. Um, I just want to call it out. Uh, Will's a big supporter of our show. We love him and Sammy. So want to show a little love for that. Absolutely. Love it. Uh, I don't know if you're listening to this in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thank you for spending a little time with us and talking about Blind Fury and a Zatoichi movie. Come back next week. It's the 100th episode. We're talking three films, three iconic films. It's going to be a blast, and we're going to do a little bit of reminiscing about the uh, I don't know the episodes that came before that. And please send us your feedback. Um, tell us your stories. Josh, thank you so much um, for you know just jumping on the episodes that we asked you to come on. We couldn't have gotten here without your help um, and especially your participation behind the scenes. I, I love all the texts of us um, just debating and sharing you know images of our purchases for the week. But uh, th- this has all been about the community and, and just building um, more friendships. And, and you're definitely um, one of the close ones that we've got. And, and it's my favorite thing of... of I don't know, that comes out of the podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. We will see everybody next week. Don't lose your head.